Welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.09. Today we're going to do a whole episode on a critical rabbit trail, maybe one of the mothers of all rabbit trails, yeah. uh, the issue of determinism, i.e. what does God specifically accomplish in this life and how he does it. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick and I am the director for Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios and I'm a student at Liberty University studying youth ministry, pastoral leadership, and I just added psychology into the mix. Kudos on that. I'm excited. Yeah. So as always, we always we want to start first with just a quick recap. So if this happens to be your first episode listening in, welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, context is always important. So I want to give you a context of what we've been discussing this season um, as we lead up to this discussion today. So here we are in season three in episode 3.00. We just discussed what the unpacking process is all about, why we call it the unpacking season. Yep. And then in episodes one and two, we describe the why and how that you should study scripture. In episodes three and four, we introduced the concept of hope and we also describe what the Bible possibly has to say about heaven and some of its details. Mm-hmm. In episodes five and six, we look into faith and spiritual maturity and what they are and how they work. And then in episodes uh, seven and eight, we, we got into love and what love entails and then glory what does glory mean biblically? Yeah. Um, and so here we are in episode nine. So in as we as we mapped out the schedule of of the the order of topics that we wanted to go through, mm-hmm. we there was a very specific order I wanted to go, and I, I definitely wanted to start with like foundational kind of deep core yeah, big those central ideas mm-hmm, concepts, and then we can build on them from all the other ones. And so I, I put I put a certain order to it. So like the hope in heaven come first because it's a motivation. Uh, and then the faith and maturity become a critical component of how you're going to live out your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went into the to the love, which to me is the most important issue of all. Yeah. Uh, and, and so how the hope and, and heaven and faith and maturity kind of build to that. And then we talked about how love and glorify can be at least presented as a, at odds. Mm-hmm. And so we discussed the difference between the two and how they, how they play together. And so the next set that we're going to go into is some other really heavy ones. So we're going to go into good and evil. So biblically, what does it mean that something is good? Yeah. And then what is evil? What is sin? Why does a good God allow sin? Which then segues into suffering. And why does this loving God allow suffering? We're also going to get into prayer and what does prayer accomplish and how does, how does prayer work? We're also going to get into righteousness and justice. How they're they're pretty much synonyms biblically, mm-hmm. and so and that's those these are phrases that we use a lot. So they become other core concepts. But I realized that as as we started, of course, we've done these before. You know, we, we did the studies already. But as we did the studies of them, um, we kept coming up. We kept coming back to the determin deterministic issue, the, yeah. or the determinism issue, and. I knew that we needed to have an episode just on the determinism issue mm-hmm. and kind of talk through it a bit because it's it's absolutely going to play into these later episodes. So as we're, we're talking about the conclusions that, we're, that we came to as, as we did the studies, mm-hmm. there's certain assumptions that we're making, assumptions and conclusions, right? Yeah. But a lot of it on this interdeterminism issue. And so I knew, or you know what, let's, let's do a quick rabbit trail. And we'll do this episode on interdeterminism, mm-hmm. and then we'll go back to this this chain of foundational studies. Yeah, because especially when you start getting into good and evil and suffering, just those three by themselves, uh, this issue really frames the discussion there. And so if you have a certain understanding of what determinism means, you're going to view all of that through one lens. And if you view that in a different way, you're going to see that completely differently. So we really just wanted to lay out what this issue actually is. Maybe you've never heard these terms used before of determinism and interdeterminism and some of this other stuff that we're going to be saying. Uh, So we wanted to present that and really just encourage you guys to 
see where you are on this spectrum because it really does affect how you view things, especially mm-hmm. in these episodes that are going to be coming up right after this. Yeah, because I do think, you know, some people will say, oh, I don't I don't necessarily have an opinion or I don't care or mm-hmm. whatever. I feel like everybody on a subconscious level has made a decision on this issue, yeah. even if it's subconscious. And so then based on that, um, those implications of wh- how we make the decisions or the phrases that we say, mm-hmm. you know, the advice that we give. And so one of the things that we do here in Rekindling especially with the unpacking series is helping you try to pay attention to the actual de- biblical definitions of concepts and it will actually change your vocabulary yeah. a lot of times and we wanted to challenge on that um, and in this issue constantly comes up comes up in my community group as we're going through Genesis and Exodus and and all that so so we wanted to do a whole topic on that mm-hmm. so having said that there's a couple points that we want to make about this um, before we actually get into the to the nuts and bolts at all first thing is so we're not going to take the, tr- the the unpacking approach traditionally how we've done it in this season so far with this one as far as like we look up all the hebrew and greek words and then you know what's the definition how does it work the benefits etc those four questions and, and, there's, and there's a couple reasons why one is we haven't done an unpacking study yeah. on this yet mm-hmm. we've talked about it a lot we, we've wrapped our mind around it and wrestled through it a lot um but we haven't taken the official unpacking approach I hope down the road that we can. One of the reasons that we haven't done it so far is even if we do try to take the unpacking approach, I don't know how well it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Because, like, for example, what words would you end up looking up? Like, you would you would look up determined, right? And you would look yeah. up sovereign, and you would look up ordained and, and things like that. But also, like, you know, so-and-so made me do it. So do we look up all the words, all, all the make words? Well, yeah. a lot of times make is used in a bunch of different ways, right? Um, and then even even if we if we found, like, the verse or the words that we wanted to look up, and then and – because well, um, give an example in the joy study Malachi 4 2 says for those of you who revere my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like a calf released from the stall that's definitely about joy mm-hmm. but the word joy and the word happy and all those that are correlated with joy none of those words show up in the verse yeah. so when we did the study that verse didn't come up but it's a verse on that so I knew even if we were to try to find a family of words that we could look up, there were plenty of verses out there that are going to touch on this topic that mm-hmm. we wouldn't even find in the word search, and so we would still be missing a lot. And then of the verses that we found, a lot of times it's the, the, the verse is making a statement, but it's not going into any detail about how. Yeah. And, we're, and this whole topic is really getting into the how, the behind the curtain, mm-hmm. right, the behind the scenes. And so even if we found as many verses as we could, we, don't, we would still be making a lot of assumptions about the verses. So, so we're not necessarily going to take that approach. Yeah, and especially as we start getting into this issue, I think we're all going to be able to see Uh, I know just personally, I've been able to see as just even we were talking beforehand, just how complicated Mm -hmm. this actually is. Mm -hmm. And so to say, no, I just want a couple of verses that talk about this issue. I I would love to say that we found a couple (laughs) of verses that really just clearly lay this out. But I don't think that you actually can say that Uh with any degree of confidence. The Bible clearly says this and then fill in the blank with however you fall on this. Um, It is a whole lot more complicated than I think we like to think that it is Mm -hmm. um, just because of what you were saying. Like there's not really a word that you can look up because it's much more of an underlying theme and idea throughout scripture. It's not a um, clearly expressed and defined idea. Right. So we decided that 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 approach wouldn't play out probably well with what we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So then we was like, all right, so what way do we want to look? 
So one of the things that has influenced me, one of the books is Across the Spectrum, written by Eddie and Boyd, Greg Boyd. And uh, I read it a number of years ago, had found it kind of randomly on Amazon, and, and I really, really liked it. And so what they do in, in Across the Spectrum is they each chapter is like a key hotly debated issue within evangelical Christianity. And they said, we wanted to do it within all of Christianity, but we knew we couldn't write a book, you know, that, that yeah, comes with that. Big book. <laughs> so we focused in on, I think there was like 14, 14 or 15 different issues that are debated amongst evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each chapter is one of those debates. And then what they do is they say, well, so here's the debate. Here are the, ba-, and it's usually two camps. People fall into one of two. Sometimes there was like three camps or even four. Sure. And so they said, so here's the issue. Here's the two or three or four camps that most Christians fall into regarding this issue. And then they explain each of the camps. They say, so here's this camp. Here, here's the basic belief that they have about this issue. Here are the key verses that they use to back that up. Here is the um, logic and human presuppositions, et cetera, that they use to also yeah. come to that. And then here's the implications of it. And they might touch on maybe, and then here's some holes or gaps that they don't necessarily answer. And then, and then they do that for each camp. And they do it as neutrally as they can. So they never tell you what where they hold to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just present it. Here they all are. It's kind of what yours to go with. I loved that. You know, I love, love I love that I wasn't told what to believe. I love that they were trying to take a, this neutral, honest approach. That here's all the different camps out there. Um, here's the strengths and, and you know, et cetera. So, so that had always really influenced me. Uh, and so, I wanted to take that approach here with this with this topic of, and we're and we're going to go through and define what we mean by determinism and interdeterminism and all that shortly. But but it, it, this issue of this is basically the free will, God made it happen debate. Um, I wanted to present as broad and universal a picture. So what we're going to try to do in this episode is we're going to paint like a big picture mm-hmm. of what this is all about and, and what all the possibilities are. And we're going to, we're, and so, and we, we always come back to this definitions are really, really important. So we're going to go into uh, specific definitions of like, so here, here's this term, here's, here's what we're going to define it to mean the, the goal, not that we're making it up, but the goal of being that we want, like, so imagine people in all the different camps and they're all sitting, th- this is probably, this episode is probably going to be better off in a class on a whiteboard yes. with visuals. Yeah. So this is going to be a little bit hard to follow given the sheer volume of things that we're about to present to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but ima- so imagine a class and there were people there all in the different camps. We, we'd want to paint a picture where we'd say, all right, does everyone agree at least with this picture, this broad picture? We're going to debate where we are in the picture and where God is in the picture, but we at least want to get the big picture. And so we're all, all, we're all agreeing we're going to use this picture to kind of explain things. And then we're going to set up a list of definitions. And so here's how we're going to define each of these terms. Uh, and so let's all get on board on that so that when we're talking to each other and we're using certain words, we all know what exactly we mean by that. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, so that's, that's our goal is to, is to paint that picture and put these definitions down. Then once we do that, that then we'll present the different camps here's the basic camps that one can hold to and we'll talk a little bit about maybe the strengths or weaknesses or implications etc of those camps Mm -hmm. Um, one of the big key components and and you mentioned this what you believe actually does on this affects how you live your life Uh, Isaiah was saying that earlier and so we want you guys to kind of think through all this stuff we're going to go ahead and once it's all said and done we'll give you like our opinions mm-hmm. um of what we think and why because it does play into this whole podcast so you can understand where we're coming from um, but anyway so that that's that's the approach that we're going to we're going to take on that um another another component that comes up with this is van campen wrote a book 
called The Oath, which was about end times eschatology, and, and, and it's a really comprehensive book of trying to, re- like, I, I never, this, is, he, this was another book that helped me start paying more attention to a comprehensive approach to scripture, hmm. because he wasn't just reading Revelation or Ezekiel. He was reading a bunch of the prophets and Matthew and Luke uh, and First Thessalonians and all these different other passages all throughout Scripture that somehow t- – so he did all the research, which I was really impressed with. Mm-hmm. But anyways, one of the things that he said in the prologue or the introduction was a lot of times when we're forming our theology, we'll, we'll read a handful of passages on some topic. And then from, based on those passages, try to be you know prayerfully mindful of this true Scripture. We form our, our theology on those yeah. passages. Well, there's 31,107 verses in the Bible. So he said it's almost the guarantee that at some some point later in your life, you're going to come across a verse that the way that it reads actually fits outside of the theology that you set. It's like contrary or at least different than. Mm-hmm. And he says, so typically as humans, what we do is we've already made up our mind. We already know this is the theology yeah. based on, on the X amount of passages that we initially read. So this verse here can't mean that um, because we already know this is the theology. And so we reread that verse to fit in with, within our theology. Mm-hmm. And he said, we, we shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. He said, what we should do is we, and, and you've mentioned this before with the, you know, holding our opinions in our hand kind of mm-hmm. openly. So we're flexible with them, um, that we're not, uh, dogmatic, yeah. you know, uh, too dogmatic about them. That what, so what he said is, is if you, you read X amount of passages and you form this theology, and then later, later on you come across another verse that seems to fit outside that, what you need to do is you need to readjust your theology hmm. um, so that the, that the theology has now been expanded to also fit that verse. Yeah. And that, that just like when I read it, I'm like, wow, like that's amazing to me. And so that's, that's a, huge, mm, a huge part of my DNA and how I approach with rekindling. Yeah, and it's really interesting how even at a larger level, if you move beyond theology, in life we tend to do that. And so That's we true. make up our mind about an issue and we say, okay, yep, I figured this out. Um, regardless of how much research we actually do, some people do put a lot of time into figuring out where they stand on different issues. And then other people uh, just um, read one article, one perspective, and they, they're convinced by that. And so they, that's what they hold to. Um, but if you don't allow yourself to actually see the bigger picture and move beyond your understanding of something, we were talking about this earlier, how it can just turn into this us versus them thing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just like, no, I have my theological tent and I have it like I have this figured out uh, cohesively for myself. Uh, you believe something different. Well, you're wrong and I'm right. And so I, you need to I, I mean, I'm right. So you need to come and see why I'm right when we miss. And when we do that, we miss out on really the fuller picture of mm-hmm. what things tend to be. But we also just, it creates this divide and this us versus them mentality of, um, no, I, it just gets personal really quick. And it's just really, really messy. And we see this in culture all the time with a lot of different things. Just the whole idea of, I have my opinion, you have your opinion, and we're fighting. Yeah. Instead of saying, well, no, you have some really good points. And I think I have some really good points. So let's actually have a discussion about, about this. And so we can really move forward and have both of us have a more complete understanding yeah and be willing to adjust right mm-hmm. so this this is a pride slash humility issue here yeah that because i remember once and i don't remember who the pastor was but i read there was some pastor there was at least two like traveling evangelists in the 1800s that kind of had a rivalry and especially their followers had a rivalry and so one day one of one of the guys i don't remember his name but his follower came to him and he said hey the followers of so-and-so are saying that you have bad theology you know, and, and his followers all indignant, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to stand up for him and protect him. And the, and the evangelist said, of course I do. Hmm. And, uh, and the followers like, what? 
And he's like, I'm not perfect. So there is absolutely no way that I have 100% correct theology. Somewhere, some of my theology is bad, is wrong. I don't know it yet. That's why I haven't changed it. Um, but the idea was is that he was still open to be cha- to, to to be able to change as, as more information came. Again, I find that highly remarkable uh, and and admirable, yeah. uh, or admirable that someone like so even with me, you know, I have these these firm convictions, but they're never one hundred percent irresistible firm convictions because something else may come along later where I'm like, oh, I don't want to believe that because I'd already concluded this, mm-hmm. but the scriptures would seem to show this, this, and this. So I need to adjust to that. And so that's like we, we never want to present like a rekindling theology of guys, this is the way you must believe. You know, this is this is our thoughts and insights on it. And this mm-hmm. may change over time. Because I even look back to some of the early years of rekindling and some of the stuff that I wrote. And I look back now I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't I don't believe that now. Yeah. You know, I still have more knowledge. So we're presenting to you what we have so far and this, you know, could always change down the road. Um, so, th- so th- this is why the flexibility is, is important. Um, another thing to keep in mind before we get into the discussion itself is th- this is this is deep intellectual conjecture. Yeah. Uh, and so this goes back to it, we, the Bible clearly doesn't teach X, Y, Z, or it clearly teaches X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's complex, it's complicated, um, and so we're admitting right from the get go that we're conjecturing here on a lot of this. Now we're gonna reference some scripture we're talking about some logic we're going to try to show why we're conjecturing what we're conjecturing Mm -hmm. not just blind conjecture Um, but we want to admit that it is conjecture so we're not telling you what to believe our our goal here in this episode isn't to tell you this is the camp you must be in our goal is to tell you here's here's the big issue here's all the sub very important Mm -hmm. relevant subcomponent issues within that issue and then based on that big picture and all these important subcomponents, here's the basic camps that tend, people tend to hold to and why. And we just want to equip you with that knowledge so that you can make a more educated decision on what you believe and, and a more conscious, not just a subconscious decision. Yeah, and we're not going to solve every question related to this issue. Mm-hmm. We're probably not going to solve pretty much any issues. But we really do want to bring up this discussion because we both think it's so important. and. I know that for a long time, I didn't actually think through Mm -hmm. what it looked like, like what this really meant. I mean, I had heard some different sermons on um, different aspects of this, and I agreed with what I was hearing. Um, But then I even just came to college and started hearing other people's perspectives. And it's like, well, why why do you believe that? Because I've only Mm -hmm. heard this. And even like I had heard um, really simplistic views of the other the other side, quote unquote. Um, And so when you actually begin to look into this and you see where your brother and sister in Christ that thinks differently about this than you, where they're coming from, it really allows you to have the conversation that as believers we need to be having. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then you can actually begin to form your own ideas in a more complete way when you actually understand what's all going on. Yeah, so you're going to find passionate, intellectual Jesus freaks Mm -hmm. that truly believe Jesus is Lord in in most of these different camps. And we need to respect that, that we we just don't know for sure. It's probably a combination of the above, you know, et cetera. Uh, And so, because one of the things is love and unity must trump all of these things, that we still need to live in unity with each other. We still need to be loving each other, Mm -hmm. regardless if we hold to the different camps. So we we want you to keep that in mind as we go through this discussion. Also, we referenced this a little bit a minute ago. This is pretty heady. 
Mm-hmm. And so as, as we were, as we were, you know, typing out the outline and, and talking about it ahead of time, we're like, Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm, we're kind of confused now, just as we talk about it, when mm-hmm. we had the outline and we researched all this. Yeah. So we know that there might be some confusing point pieces to all this. One of the things that we actually, we always say prayer before we do these recordings and we prayed that, um, if it is, we try to keep it as, as least confusing as we can, yeah. but that we definitely wanted some certain nuggets to get out there, a certain phrase or a certain analogy mm-hmm. or whatever, and that, that that gets out there for the listener, that there that, that can, that can be that takeaway. Um, it, it may also be helpful, and I've said this before in other, other episodes, to actually have pen and paper and to draw some of this stuff out just to kind of help collect your thoughts on all of it. So, so imagine like a car engine or an airplane engine or whatever, and we're actually trying to teach a class on on everything that goes into an airplane engine and we don't really want to try to leave anything out and so it gets really really complicated um this this issue of determinism of free will and how god does things uh is complex and and we have found there's actually a whole lot of points to it a whole Mm -hmm. lot of pieces to it and so as always in this whole season we decided we were willing to go as long as we need to to go ahead and lay out everything that we can so that people have the most information possible for them to make that educated decision because it's so much easier it would be so easy for us to just come on here and Mm -hmm. uh, using your engine analogy just say okay so here's what happens you go to the gas station you get gas you fill it into your red container you take it up to the car and then you dump it in the gas uh goes into the engine it makes some stuff go around some stuff moves and then power goes to the wheels and you move like that's it's not necessarily wrong right. like that's pretty much how a car but works to it but there's that. it's so much more complicated than that and you're not doing the concept justice if that's your understanding of how a car works mm-hmm. because there actually is value in understanding that uh, you're actually there's combustion tanks and there's spark plugs and there's all these different things uh, rear def- differentials now I'm just naming car parts that I know but like what there's also actually, like a squirrel in a wheel yes, right? That, yep. that's what makes the wheels and little go. minions running yeah. all around just making that. sure that everything that. goes together yeah, yeah. Uh, my engineering brother would be proud of that <laughs> but um, it's just really interesting when you actually start figuring out how this works which I don't think I think both of us would agree that we can't fully understand how all of this works because mm-hmm. neither of us do mm-hmm. um but it's it is pay grade to some extent. <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's helpful to know why you hold to the position you do and to figure out some of the details about how this actually plays out because of the implications that come from it yeah so to give some specific examples with that um i hear people say things like i had a friend of mine recently tell me uh she was still in school and, and she said oh i'm so excited the lord gave me an a and I understand her point that the Lord helped her, right? But I, I remember thinking to myself, did the Lord, was it, was it God that gave you that A? I don't know if I would hold to that, mm-hmm. right? Um, or I hear people, this is an example I give all the time, that you know somebody applied for a job and they didn't get it. Um, and they say, it must be the Lord's will that I didn't get it. And I've, you know, as, and we're going to explain all this stuff. I thought maybe, yeah, true. It's totally true. It's possible, but maybe not. Maybe there's other factors going on, right? I always want, I always want to be willing to consider every possible factor. Yeah. So one of the things is, is we make statements like this all the time, and but we don't necessarily think through the implications and do we actually believe it? Because a lot of times too, we'll make certain statements about things, but then other decisions we make would be contrary to that. So we're not even consistent mm-hmm. with our actions and our our statements. And so that's why another reason why we wanted to go ahead and, and do this issue or, and, and, and study this topic about what is it exactly that God's doing and how does he does do it directly or indirectly, you know, passively or actively, irresistibly or resistibly. 
And so I, I said, you know what, let's just do an episode on this where we can kind of lay everything out there, put all the pieces out, and then begin to build the puzzle. Yep. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into the actual discussion. So the first thing that I want to mention is the issue of sovereignty. And this was one of the big things for me that, that happened uh, through seminary and even before seminary um, that made me want to actually explore this stuff more. And so because we, we've talked before, definitions are so, so important. Yes, yeah. And so when you're having a conversation with somebody or that conversation turns into a debate, a lot of times people are using the same words but mean two different things mm-hmm. by it. And so they're, they're kind of talking past each other. Or they use um, two different words that are actually meaning the same thing. But they don't realize that, and so they keep arguing. It's not it's not A, it's B. But guys, A and B in this sense are the same, right? Mm. And so, so to me, it's so important to make sure we're understanding the, the key definitions here. Yeah, and that's why this isn't just semantics when we go through right. and figure out what these definitions actually mean. It really helps just set the discussion so then we can actually have an intelligent one. Yeah, so having said that, I want to talk a, uh, just a minute here about sovereignty and what is sovereignty. And the reason why is I'll go ahead and just tell you up from a free will guy. Um, and we're going to walk you through how mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I came to all that. But I've, I've had my talks with my more reformed or deterministic friends, and they would say, you know what, Shannon, I just I can't be that free will guy because I believe too much in God's sovereignty. Hmm. Implying that I didn't believe in God's sovereignty. And I remember thinking, God's sovereignty, I, I don't question that at all. Yeah. You know, I believe that God is absolutely sovereign. Um, but you're saying that I'm not. So we're not using the same definition of sovereignty here, right? Mm-hmm. So let's think through this, right? So I, so I did some research. And, and, and so the first thing I want to say is, do we believe that God is sovereign? Unequivocally, yeah. absolutely, mm-hmm. 100%. Yes. We see in, in Acts 4.24 and 1 Timothy 6.15 and Revelation 6.10, we see these references that you know, God is sovereign. So, so nobody... Uh, in, in these debates, and we'll throw these camps. Now, some of them in the far left camp, yeah. the, the atheist camp, would say no because there's no God. Sure. But for the most part, we want to understand that we want to we, we want to present an accurate definition of sovereignty here, and understand that really everybody in all the camps or most of the camps actually believe that God is sovereign. Yeah. So we don't want to equate sovereignty with determinism. So let, let me explain this. So what does it mean to be sovereign? Sovereign can be a noun or an adjective. We're talking about the adjective. What does it mean to be sovereign? It mean, if, if somebody is sovereign, it means that, one, they have the authority to set the expectations, rules, parameters, goals, vision, etc., for the people they have authority over. Yeah. And then, two, they have the power to ensure that it comes to pass. So, for example, we know that, that God has the authority to set up the parameters for life, the rules, the do's and don'ts, where we're headed, what's, what's best case scenario, what does good look like, what is right, mm-hmm. right? God is setting all that up. So Matthew 6.10, you know, his will be done. And Matthew 20.18, Christ actually has that privilege to, to be able to do, to do that. Yeah. But then, so, so that's the authority, that, that this, person, the, this person has the authority, they have the right, whatever you want to call it, to set the, the parameters and the, and the vision. And then they also have the power to back it up and to ensure that it comes to pass. So like Revelation 12.10, that power to ensure that, that God's will will come to pass. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is when you get into determinism, what determinism is is the how. So, so sovereign is the who and the what. Yeah. And then determinism is the how. So if, if me and, and a more hard deterministic person, we both agree God is sovereign. We both agree that he has the final authority on everything, that he has the final say, that he, he is the one that can determine where we're headed and what is allowed and what is not allowed, etc. We also agree 
that he absolutely has the divine power to back that up and ensure that that happens. So we're actually in agreement there. We're in agreement on his sovereignty. Where the debate comes is into the determinism, Mm -hmm. which is how does he use his power to ensure that it's happening? Yeah, and I think that it's really useful to have that distinction and that definition because I know I've had this discussion with a lot of different people and it normally in some capacity boils down to what do you think about God's sovereignty? And it's this is painted as a is God sovereign or is he not sovereign mm-hmm. discussion. But that's really not Mm-mm. not what we're actually talking about. What we're actually saying is how does that actually look? And so we all agree that he has the authority and the power. What does it actually look like for him to execute that power? And that's really what this discussion yeah. uh, boils down to. Yeah, so when it comes to uh, man's free will, and because well, here's how the phrase is said, man's free will and God's sovereignty. Hmm. That's not accurate. The debate here is man's free will and God's determinism, or it's the, it's the debate between man's free will and how God uses his sovereignty, or how he carries out his sovereignty. The fact that he is sovereign is not disputed. Mm-hmm. So, so I always want to clarify that. So I want to encourage you, if, if you are one that has said to people in the past, um, oh, you don't believe in God's sovereignty because you think man caused that. That's not true at all. Now, if they're an atheist or a non-believer, yeah, sure. That could be true. Right, but could in be most true. cases with most believers. Cases with believers, it's not. They mm-hmm. believe that God actually has the final say. He has the ultimate authority, and he has the power to make it happen. The debate is how he's using that power. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, just, I just wanted to emphasize that point. Now, side note to that, just a quick little side reference, is so we, so we believe that God is sovereign, so that, that he, his, his will is the final authority on things as far as what he says goes or what he says is, is right, is best, is good, da-da-da. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to at least touch on, and we've done this in other episodes too, but I wanted, I wanted to touch on it here. What do we know? You know, so if God is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He is the ultimate authority, and He is sovereign, that means that He is the one that has the authority to say how things should go. How does He want things to go? Mm-hmm. What has He? You know, so He's established the laws of the land, right, and, and the vision. What is the vision? What is the laws of the land? And the laws of the land can get really detailed, which we're going to get into in other other episodes. But what would you say? Um, is his will um, what is what is his vision for life so for example we know one of them there's multiple ones here we know from revelation 4 11 and even from genesis that one of the things that is a part of god's will is to create all things and cause them to exist and then we also see in john 3 16 10 10 and then uh first john 3 23 second peter 3 9 that his will is for people to repent of their sins believe in his son not perish and instead find everlasting and abundant life. And we know from Mark twelve twenty nine to thirty one that another thing of His will is for people to love God, love others, and love self. In First Thessalonians four three, we see that God's will is for us to progress in our sanctification, so becoming more like Him. And we know from Ecclesiastes four twelve that it's, He wants people to fear Him and keep His commandments. Quick note on that: fear Him is more of an excitement trembling than it is an afraid trembling and we'll get more into that in the fear of the lord study yeah and then also genesis 128 he wants people to be fruitful multiply and have uh, just stewardship over the earth and then first thessalonians 518 paul talks about how god desires for people to give thanks in all circumstances and first peter 216 uh and 13 in that range just submitting ourselves as free men to every authority instituted by men and ultimately by god which that's so we're we're finishing up the unpacking study on leading 
mm-hmm. leaders and leading. And we learned really quickly that um, we started looking up submission as well because it would be like the, the yeah. universe. Um, it's almost become a study on submission more than it's become a study on leading, huh. uh, which was really interesting. interesting. So when we actually do the Unpacking podcast on that, that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to get into what does it actually mean and why and how does one actually submit to authority instituted by man, you know, et cetera. Um, now, so so those are, are some, not all, mm-hmm. but those are some of the things that this sovereign uh, God has established that he's decided. And by the way, these are really good. Right? Yeah. These, these are not even like mean, controlling things. Mm-hmm. These are beneficial things. And so so these are some of the things that God wants. Let me ask you a question before we go to the next section. Um, how detailed does this go? Because so we just, um, we a lot of these are more universal, mm-hmm. kind of at the broad level. Some of these are a little more specific, like he wants us to give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah. So would we say that God, his will... Um, is at the at the universal big picture level where he said these are some overall overarching things that I want, and then he also narrows it down to more detail. Here's some more specific details for Christians that I want, yeah. or even more specific. Here's for those who are pastors that I want, mm-hmm. or even for you know, and individually at the universal level as far as he wants all of us to give thanks and, and he wants us to endure through suffering and, and things like that. Um, do you think? He has an opinion on whether when you're flying on a plane, you eat the fish or the chicken. Uh, that issue specifically, no. And so what and what I think you're getting at there is like, how detailed does God's will actually get? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I because it's I'm a college student. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do for like master's programs and like all that different stuff. Um, and it's really interesting because I talk to people and they're just like, so what's God will God's will for you? Uh, and they say it in the sense of what school are you going to go to for a master's program? What master's degree are you going to do? And mm-hmm. it comes down to these really specific things. And I think that um, first, I think that it's not as much of a tightrope as we tend to make God's will. Right. So a lot of th- times as we go through life, we tend to see God's will as this thing that we have to carefully navigate. And we it, it's real easy to step off. And once we do, we need to jump back on the just this tiny little maze-like path mm-hmm. uh, that's really narrow. And, it, I mean, you can find it sometimes, but you have to really be searching. And there's it's really complicated. Uh, and that is one view, and that's not the view that I hold to. Yeah. Um, with decision-making, this sort of thing, I don't remember... Uh, there's been a lot of contributing things to this, but really uh, what I've come to find is that it's more of a mindset that I have as I go and make decisions. So what I need to be doing is I need to be walking in the spirit and I need to be communing with Christ and I need to be uh, just doing all of these things to just draw myself closer to him. And so then he will give me the desires of my heart. It talks about in the old Testament, mm-hmm. like there's all these different passages that say, as we draw near to God, he's going to draw near to us and he'll actually begin to show us what it looks like in order to do his will. Because something we talk about a lot in rekindling is that um, God is much more focused on who we are and just the be characteristics instead of what we're doing or what we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the be do have concept that we talked right. about in season one. Just that whole idea of we need to really be cultivating who we are and then what we do will prob- more than likely be a natural outpouring of what that actually looks like. Right. So would you say that God never cares whether you get the fish or the steak. And so that that actually is really, it's really cool how this works because the second point that I had goes right with that with, I think that God does work differently in different people's lives. And so I've heard uh, one of my professors here described God's will as sometimes it's like a road with guardrails. And so he says, here's the direction you need to go. Mm -hmm. Just don't go off the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't go too far this way, too far this way. Just you can make any decision you want. 
going mm-hmm. straight down here. And I do think that that's the way that he works in some people's lives. But then I also think that some people, uh, he is much more involved. And he's like, no, I, I really do think that you need to do this specific thing right now. Um, which this is showing where my perspective is with uh, free will and determinism. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more of a guiding. In, in, so sometimes it is a guiding in specific decisions mm-hmm. and more of the quote unquote little decisions that mm-hmm. don't seem to be as significant. Um, and so I think that it's just more complicated than we like it to be. Uh, that it is sometimes God wants us to, it, he just gives us some guidelines and says go for it. And sometimes it is more of that specific leading yeah. type thing. So psychologically or cognitively, do we, as humans typically, do we prefer to hold a more simple easy to understand things or more complex, difficult to understand things? Simple. Simple. It's just our brain prefers Mm -hmm. that. So what happens a lot of times is we start making these universal claims about God's will that may not necessarily be true. So does God want everybody to be saved? Yes, because 2 Peter 3.9 specifically states that, right? Um, Does God want everyone to believe in his son? Yes. Does God want um, everyone to love everybody? Yes, it's the greatest commandment or Mm -hmm. one of the two greatest commandments. Does God want you to be drunk? No. Does God want you to be an excellent, illegal drug dealer? No. You know, there's these universal (laughs) things there. So then what happens is we can say, you know, so at at certain levels, there's these universal claims that's like always true. Mm -hmm. So therefore we can make universal claims at every level, which yeah. is always true. So the idea being that God wants you to always eat the fish or the chicken or whatever. But the thing is, and you made this point, it's gonna vary from person to person and also situation to situation. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, look at Romans 14. For the individual that's convicted that, that meat is not a problem. If we said, does God want them to eat meat or not? Paul would seem to say, that's your decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think God has an opinion on that. Now, if you're totally convicted that, that meat sacrificed to idols is against God's plan, then what is God's will for you? Not to eat that meat, right, because you've been convicted of that. Yeah. Or another example would be, let's say you're on the plane and there's the chicken or fish and the fish is bad. So God may, may, may in that moment not want you to eat the fish because the fish is bad mm-hmm. um, on the plane on that flight. Um, or so, so what happens is there'll be times when God may say for you in that moment, he wants you to, he has a, actually a preference of the chicken or fish where for me in another moment, he doesn't have a preference. I really can choose. And so I think that some people start to think maybe it's subconsciously that there's a right and wrong answer to everything according mm-hmm. to God. And so there's a right or wrong answer for me to eat the chicken or the fish or for which school to go to, or for which uh, color socks to put on in the morning. Most people, when you get to that level of, like, yeah. like they may say, oh, God definitely has an opinion of which school he wants you to go to, but he doesn't have an opinion of which socks he wants you to wear. So a lot of people will fall in that spectrum when you, when you start to get super high-tailed detailed and mm-hmm. super specific. Most people would agree that God doesn't have a specific, you know, point of that. Um, but for other more substantive things, he does. And so what we want to throw out there is just the possibility that, it, it, it could be a number of different things. It goes back to the complexity. So when it comes to colleges, for some people, God, God may say, you know, hey, if you're asking me, I want you to go to this college. Yeah. Um, where for others, he may say, honestly, any one of these four colleges, I'm okay with. Where for others, he may say, you can go to whatever college you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that when you go there that you're sticking with me and walking with me through that. You know, so that's a, that's yeah. a non-Christian yeah. school or whatever. We actually discussed this in Know Thyself. So for some people, God says, listen, your calling 
um, I want you to know I've pretty much got every hour of your life mapped out mm-hmm. to the day you die. So he's got a lot of specific will in all these specific different points. Or for somebody else, he may say, actually, I'm going to give you a lot more free reign. There's still those parameters that I want you to live within. But I'm going to give you some like kind of the road thing you were just saying. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a free reign there. And so I know that going through this debate, another reason you know why we're bringing this this whole episode up is we start we've concluded one thing, mm-hmm. and then we assume that must be correct for everybody. Yeah. And we want to go with scripture, right? We want the scripture always set the firm parameters. But as as we continue with this discussion, we're going to see that it seems that God's will may actually vary from situation to situation, mm-hmm. and then also so so. When it comes to his will, it may vary. And then when it comes to the determinism, when it comes to the use of his power to enforce his will, that may vary. So, for example, and and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but we'll get into all this here. Like with the school, God may say to to you, Zach, I want you to go to the school. And he says, Shannon, I'm I'm letting you go to any one of these eight schools. Right. So but with you, there's a very specific school that he wants you to go. It may be. And so let's say there's somebody else that he also has one school that he wants him to go. For you, he may actually miraculously, divinely close all other doors. So literally, that's the only option. Now, you'd also, there's always the option of not to go. He even somehow closes that door. Hmm. So somehow he closes every single door, forcing you to then take that school. Where for the other person, he says, now, this is the school that I want you to go to. And he may close certain doors, but he's still allowing some free will to come in, and the person may not choose it, or the school may not accept him, you know, kind of deal. And so so this, again, this is why we're discussing this and how divinely involved does God get, or I guess— you and I both would still hold that he's very divinely involved, yes, so that's, that's yeah. not really the issue, is we would all agree in, all, in the majority of these camps that God is divinely involved. What does his divine involvement look like? Yes. Right? Yeah. And so try, trying to map all that stuff out. And I think right here in that discussion that we just had for the past couple of minutes, you really see the implications of this come out because you heard both of our perspectives. We're coming from more of a free will um we're saying that you're you can make a decision uh god leads you in decisions but you can actually legitimately make a decision whereas if uh we were to have a third person in here that's more of a deterministic has more of a deterministic mindset they're going to say um different things about how um god has orchestrated this from the beginning and uh just a lot of different the language would be a lot different and it really be you can really begin to see how this discussion would change mm-hmm. drastically depending mm-hmm. on where you fall on this spectrum. Yeah, so that's why in this, you know, we've already kind of showed our cards, mm-hmm. but we we want to try to take an open approach as we go through this entire discussion, trying to again equip everybody with as much knowledge as we can so that you can make your decision that you're going to make. So so with that, then so now what we're getting into is the nuts and bolts of it all. We all agree that God has. Uh, He's, he's, he's sovereign. He has the authority to determine what is right. And, and there's going to be debates on to what degree or detail does his will go. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I both would say it can go as detailed as it wants to go. Yeah. There just may be times when he really is neutral of whether you choose the chicken or the fish or the red socks or the blue socks. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may be that he wants you to choose the blue socks. It may be that he's actually allowing you to choose that. And that's on a mundane level. That may even go to a higher substantive level, like what school you go to or who you marry. There's the possibility there you know, of, of, of some free will with mm-hmm. that. So, so now we're getting into 
um, we all agree that he has the final authority to, to establish what right should look like, what, what should be. We also agree that he has the divine power to ensure that that's, that's going to come to pass. Yeah. So now the question is, how does he use his power? How does he actually ensure things come to pass, if at all? And so we're going to narrow this down to two basic camps for this discussion. We're, we're, there's, there, there ends up being four slash five camps that mm-hmm. one can be in, and we're going to present them a little bit later. But most of it's going to come down to these two basic camps. And really quickly before you say what the two camps are, this is in contrast to what we were talking about with it being a, sov- a God's sovereignty versus man's free will discussion. And so we were saying that those aren't like that's not right. what this discussion is actually about, because as we went through God's sovereignty, we all agree authority, power, what his will looks like. We see that in scripture uh, and we're on the same page with what that actually looks like. And so this, I just wanted to make Mm -hmm. this clear Mm -hmm. that um, what you're about to say is how we want to really frame this discussion, that it's not sovereignty and free will. It's the uh, two and really five things that we're going to lay out here. So the the question is, so we all agree God is sovereign. How does he use his sovereignty? Or how does his sovereignty play out? Or how does he use his power to actually enforce or influence? Mm -hmm. And so the two basic camps that we're going to kind of discuss this with is one camp is that he compels slash controls slash forces everything that there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. The other camp is that he enables or empowers or influences or nudges. Now we're going to find, again, it's like all the above, but but we at least we're going to in the next section here we're going to be kind of referencing these two basic camps does he force things to happen or does he nudge them to happen or, influence, or, or yeah. both or influence mm-hmm. yeah so for example uh, a king you have a sovereign king over a nation and so he has the right to declare what vegetables or fruit or whatever shall be grown and so this sovereign king declares he makes the decision that only potatoes shall be grown so and he's sovereign so he can do that mm-hmm. The question is, how does he enforce it? He may physically enforce it. Um, for example, he sends soldiers, really strong, bulky soldiers throughout the land, and the and the bulky soldiers literally, physically manhandle and force people to plant only potatoes. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like they 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 take and destroy all other seeds and you know all other crops and everything else. So literally, it's your only option left. Mm-hmm. It may be more of a, a of a strong, charismatic, persuasive influence, which is he's explained to everybody why it's important to raise only potatoes. Because, like for example, um, if we're raising all potatoes, we put all resources. There's an efficiency there, mm-hmm. and we can actually lower the cost of what it costs us to make our potatoes. And then what we're going to do is because we have all these potatoes that we don't need, we're going to sell them at a really good price and make a real nice profit. And with that profit, then we'll buy the other foods that we need. So long-term, we're actually still getting all the food, but at a better price, mm-hmm. right? So maybe he persuades through that way. Maybe it's an even lighter, uh, weaker, more casual. Or he's like, hey guys, if you know, I really hope if you can, I wish that you would plant potatoes. You know, he just kind of throws it out there, right? There's different degrees to all of this. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we want to understand as we're going through this discussion of do we do we believe that, that he like physically irresistibly compels and forces things to happen or it's a really strong persuasive nudging or it's a lighter influence, almost like kind of three camps there, you know, in, in that spectrum. Um, so so that, that's, that's what we're going to talk about. Another example, um, you mentioned orchestrate. Mm-hmm. So a conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, did the conductor play the music? No. No. But was the conductor the boss? Mm-hmm. He was the leader. 
So the the conductor had the sovereignty. He he gets final say on how that music is played, right? He determines what music is played, when instruments fade in and fade out, all that kind of thing. He's the one that gets to make all those decisions. And then what he does is um, he's got his conductor wand in his hand, mm-hmm. um, and this is through practice or anything else. But in the moment during the concert itself, he's influencing, he's nudging, he's guiding the people in the band to play. So you can still give credit to the conductor for a wonderful concert. And, and you would actually want to give credit to both the conductor and the musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is, <laughs> this is going to get into glory again and, and, and the idea of is, is God supposed to get all glory? And it seems from the study that God actually wants to share in his glory. You know, so you need to go back to the glory study to kind of, kind of look at some of that. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's another example. So, so with that in mind, with this question of, okay, so, so we all agree that he's sovereign. He has the final say on things. We all agree he has the necessary power to enforce it all. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how much power does he use or in what way does he use the power? Um, we're going to see in Scripture a number of different ways. Yeah, and so one of the first ways that we see uh, in the book of Exodus is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Uh, and so we see that in Exodus 8.15. But then just a chapter later in Exodus 9.12, we see that God also hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so we see Pharaoh's decision to do that and God's decision to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so quick note on that because we're going through Exodus in our Thursday um, community group. Mm-hmm. And so I've done some research and I found some cool charts that lay it all out. I think there's like seven or 12 different mentions of like either God hardening the heart or Pharaoh hardening the heart. Or it just says that his heart was hardened and doesn't say who did it. And also, I didn't know this, there's three different Hebrew words that are translated in the English hardened. Oh, that's interesting. And each one has a slight different nuance <laughs> to it. And so when you put them all out in the chart, it really paints a really cool picture that doesn't become contradictory. And, and the basic idea is is that God, uh, Pharaoh was choosing to hardening his own heart. Mm-hmm. And so then God said, fine, you want to choose to harden your heart. I'm going to keep it hardened and even harden it to a, a greater degree but only because you first chose it, hmm. right? Anyway, so, so then, and then another example, um, in Deuteronomy 30, 19, he gives us the choice to choose him, but then in Ephesians 1, 3 to 4, it says he chose us. And then in Judges 14, 5 and 6, he filled Samson with strength and gave him opportunities to act, but then in Luke 1, 22, he forced uh, Zacharias to become mute. And so what you see is, in all these examples, you see examples where God, God makes something happen, and there was no way around it. So could Zechariah have done anything to not be mute? No. No. The, but with Samson, he gave Samson the power to the strength. Could Samson have chosen not to use it? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so, you, so, what, so what you're going to find in Scripture is you find examples of God making something happening. There's no way around it. But then you also find examples of God setting up opportunities, equipping people, and then they actually, now the ball was in their hands, in their court, of what they were going to do with it. Yeah, and you really begin to see that Scripture isn't nearly as interested in laying out a clear, concise, this or that type of approach to this idea. Um, It really does seem to want to be presenting this whole uh, expansive, complicated view of what uh, this whole discussion actually looks like. And it's less concerned about fitting in with our preconceived notions and ideas of what this should Mm -hmm. be. So this goes back to the phrase that we say, letting the Bible paint the picture it wants to paint, right? Mm -hmm. So with that... Um, 
it is amazing to me that we we kind of make certain conclusions or assumptions about the text and then we just don't really question it and run with it mm -hmm. but then when you actually go back and you start reading like the entirety of the text and its comprehensiveness you say oh that's not quite the picture that was i thought was painted yeah. so for example we, we've probably all heard um, it's an angry god in the old testament and a loving god in the new testament mm -hmm. and it sounds neat it's, it's 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 this black and white yin yang it's kind of a cool presentation is it actually accurate to say that no it's not so like when we went through the anger study we went through the love study you see love in both old and new testament his loving kindness and faithfulness and compassion and all that mm -hmm. and even with the anger so this was the point that i made it before let's say you and i end up knowing each other for you know 60 70 years right so let's say i'm well grief i'm 100 let's say let's say <laughs> 60 years i'm 100 or 104 mm -hmm. um and and so in the last 60 years that you've known me you saw me get like angry wrathful eight times you can name eight specific instances where you saw me just like snap hmm. uh, in the moment. And so eight specific occurrences that might have lasted for several minutes over the course of 60 years. Yeah. Would it be accurate for you to describe me as a wrathful person? I don't think so. No. So what we find is there are there is wrath passages in the Old Testament, even mm -hmm. in the New, with the Revelation and such. And it's 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 unequivocal. I mean, the God is wrathful in that moment. Mm -hmm. But we have to keep in mind that the Old Testament took place over 4,000 years. And I don't know the exact count, but we're talking like 8 or 15 or 20 maybe yeah. um, instances of the Scripture where he was wrathful. And so for somebody to say God is a wrathful God, when we have maybe 20 instances over 4,000 years, I can't go there. Now, I'm not saying there was only 20. There might have been other times God was wrathful and it's not recorded. Sure. Right? But the point of it all is if we're being truly honest, he was he was wrathful here and here and here and here and here over 4,000 years. Yeah. And so when you take everything into perspective, ooh, maybe I, I shouldn't say that he's a wrathful God. And it really almost shows that he's much more patient and gracious than wrathful. Even by highlighting those 20 or so different times, mm -hmm. uh, it really does just demonstrate that that's not the main characteristic of him. Right. Even, and it's really interesting, by showing us times that he is incredibly wrathful, and we see those really just dynamic instances of wrath, it makes it mean we actually more. see his patience and his long-suffering and his grace even deeper because we know that that is an option that right. he has, but he doesn't subscribe to it often. Right. So Psalm says his anger is but for a moment where mm -hmm. his loving kindness is forever, right? So so think about the, this all about how you present. Yeah. Um, if I said, listen, this guy, I've seen him wrathful and explode 20 times, 20 different times. This guy exploded in anger and wrath. He's a mean dude. Someone's not necessarily going to argue it when it's presented that way. Mm -hmm. But you can also present this exact same situation. So this guy, I've known him for 4,000 years. Mm -hmm. And over 4,000 years, I only saw him get wrathful 20 different times. And each time was a very specific component. Yeah. Both people just presented a fairly accurate statement. But the way that it was presented... The frame of reference and even the tone mm. presents two completely different pictures. And that's just why we are so passionate about the complexity of the Bible and explaining all of what it says and not just picking bits and pieces and putting it together and presenting this little uh, straw man for the other side and this mm -hmm. nice little neatly packaged thing for our side. Like it, it's it's just not worth that mm -hmm. when you actually start getting into. Um, because, I mean, sure, we could come up with a nice emotional appeal for why free will is this and determinism's that. And we can paint a real ugly picture and a really beautiful picture of love and grace and all that. But, like, w why? If, if our only 
if the only way that we can show our point is through coercion, mm-hmm. it really says something about us and about the point that we're trying to make if we can't see the complexity of things. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't want to say that uh, people that hold to a more deterministic viewpoint don't do this because I know plenty of people that they are all about the complexity of Scripture and they also are going and searching Scripture for all of this. Uh, and so I'm saying people on both sides are doing this. Right. But it's so important that people on both sides are are actually willing to have the conversation in a way that allows for the complexity of it. Right. And, and, and so with that, setting, setting your, you know, at the feet of the Bible mm-hmm. and saying what's going on here. So one of the key, key points, I hope that somebody, a takeaway from this whole study, is just because we see examples of God hard determining, we'll get, we'll get definitions of what that means in a second, yeah. but God hard, irresistibly determining something doesn't mean automatically that he hard irresistibly determines everything Mm -hmm. so for example we know that god created the universe we know that he actually set the laws of nature up i mean and job talked about this and psalms talked about this so he set those up we know from the book of acts that god determines the time and place of your birth Mm -hmm. um we know that god hardened pharaoh's heart and so we we very much see direct examples of god irresistibly causing or determining something um but we also know that one of the patterns of scripture is that man constantly rebels and disobeys against disobeys god rebels against him and we know that it's part of god's will that we submit to him and obey him we know that probably the far majority of humanity is not going to believe in his son jesus mm-hmm. but we know from second peter 3 9 that his desire is that every everybody believe in jesus and so one of the things here is when so going back to the anger thing, we see like tw- you know twenty examples of, of anger in four thousand years. We see some very specific examples of God hard determining irresistibly something, mm-hmm. but then we see like what I would say is a plethora more of people choosing to disobey and stray from God and not believe in Him and do these things that was not according to His will. Because yeah. this becomes this kind of jumping ahead and jumping back and jumping around here. But there's a question of, is God's will, does God's will always play out? And that's a loaded question. That is a loaded question, yeah. So, so for example, if somebody says, yes, God's will always plays out, I'll, I'll push a little bit on that. And I'll say Second Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Does everyone come to repentance? Mm-mm. No. Then God doesn't give what he wants. Now, but then you could rephrase it. If God wants everybody to have the opportunity to choose Jesus or not, then we could say then that part of his will does play out, that everybody will have the opportunity. Yeah. Right? So, so, this, so again, we're, obviously our bias is coming out or our conclusions, and, and we want it to because mm-hmm. it explains why we do what we do and all the rest of the unpacking studies, but we're still not saying you have to believe this. Yeah. But we're willing to throw a whole bunch of stuff out there that if you've always just kind of black and white, mm-hmm. simplistically viewed something, you may not like this. But but the idea is, is that, hey, we need to think about this. And, and, and what I like to do is let's think through all the possibilities first. Then we can kind of go back and evaluate them. Mm-hmm. But if, if we can say that in, given the grand context of things, that anger was actually a fairly rare thing, yeah. all things considered – then calling him angry God isn't really the right thing. He is a God that will use anger when necessary, right? 
Um, and so with same with the determinism, it seems that there are a lot more examples in Scripture of, of things not going the way that God wanted it to yeah. versus the, the way that he did want it to go to, which would seem that he was allowing for more of that free will. And so there, there seems to be at least somewhat of a slight weight more towards he influences more than he forces. Yeah. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So, so with that, um, oh, so another point, we, we're talking about all the different camps and groups that people are in and everything. Um, the way we talked about how when humans are arguing, they, you know, it be, a lot of times it becomes a zero-sum thing. Hmm. So either I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. And what we find is a lot of times the two people arguing actually have a lot in common. But they don't really want to address that because that complicates things, yeah. and that gets the whole point. No, I don't want to sit here and discuss what's, what I'm common with you because I'm trying to prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times that human nature, we start to actually argue a more extreme viewpoint than what we actually have, um, because, like, so for example, in the those that hold to a more deterministic approach and those that hold to a more um, interdeterministic approach or free will approach, yeah. um, they both agree that it's kind of a both and. But then that, that kind of rids the point of arguing. Yeah. So and I think this is on a subconscious level. So one will go to the extreme of like God determines everything. And then the other goes to the extreme that God determines nothing. It's all free will. Neither one of actually which believes that. But they argue it, you know, and, and it kind of comes out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that people can recognize when you're arguing a certain point, argue what you actually believe. And don't take a more extreme version just to help increase the argument. Yeah, and I think that that is uh, difficult to do if you have no idea that you're doing it right right and so just even hearing that um i would really encourage you guys and myself to just make sure as you're going through and having discussions with people that you're willing to take a step back and say am i just arguing to argue because i am the type of person Mm -hmm. i I do enjoy Mm -hmm. having a discussion with someone um arguing per se i have nice little ways to word it so it doesn't sound bad but uh like i actually do enjoy having that type of discussion but if I am only arguing for the sake of arguing, then nothing's ever going to get done because, as you were just talking about, you drift to the polar opposites and then you allow that polarization to drive your argument even further. And you can, I think a lot of times that leads to an emotional appeal. And so it becomes much more um, like personal attacking and that sort mm-hmm. of like ante- antagonistic type mm-hmm. discussion. Flash. But it doesn't have to do that. Uh, even if. And so even if that's not happening and you are just having more of an intellectual discussion where you're more polarized, I think that that also can be dangerous because you're you're just not you're you're not going to get anywhere if right. you're not arguing the point that you actually believe. Right. So so let's let's continue with um, the the definitions. So with so we make sure we're all on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. So we're so we're going we want to be very intentional about defining all these things. So we've defined sovereignty as the, a sovereign person has the final authority to determine what the vision is, what the parameters are, and how to get there, et cetera, mm-hmm. and they have the power to enforce it. So then that moves to determinism, which is how do they use their power to make that happen. Yeah. And so, so the way that we define determinism is it's the process by which something occurs. So, for example, with the king and the potatoes. And so potatoes are now planted all over the kingdom and nothing other than potatoes is planted mm-hmm. how is that determined how did that play out it might play out because the king 
strong-handedly yeah. forced everyone to do that. It might have played out through that middle ground strong persuasion or a lighter influence, and everyone decided it was a good thing, and they went yeah. with it anyways. And so so when we're getting into determinism is we're trying to figure out how something occurred. So we gave, gave the example of, you know, so I applied for this job, and I didn't get that job. What determined that? Did God determine that? And there was no other way that was going to play out? Like, like he closed the door? Did, did the, the person who doing the hiring were they the ones that determined it? Hmm. Um, maybe you had a really bad interview, hmm. and that was also a determining factor. And so what we find is usually life is all the above, and that there's a variety of factors going on here. And so, so I think even psych- like psychologically, if I had a horrible interview and I didn't do well in college at all, and I applied for a job, and the reason why I didn't get the job was because the h- hirers saw my bad interview and saw my bad grades and, didn't, and there was somebody else they felt was more qualified mm-hmm. or was more trustworthy and they hired that person. Well, one, I don't necessarily know that. Two, if I know what my grades are and I know that I had a bad interview and I know someone else who was also applying for the job and they're really qualified, I don't want to sit and tell you, you know, so, so you're like, hey, Zach, or hey, Shannon, did you get that job? Um, no, actually, because my, my past grades caught up to me and it was a really horrible interview, I was hungover and, and I know so-and-so and they're actually really more qualified, so I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, we don't want to say that. And so we might say something like, oh, I think there was politics going on, um, sure. you know, or if, if you're a spiritual person, you know, or a Christian, um, you know what? I don't think it was God's will. Hmm. You know, and God might be saying, actually, it was my will, but because you didn't do good grades and you did show up hungover to the interview, you didn't get it, right? Yeah. And so and now, but it may be that it wasn't God's will and he closed that door. So we're not ruling out any of the possibilities. It's just being honest. It could be a number of these possibilities. So determinism is the process by which something happens. And so that's what we're trying to discuss today is what are the different ways that determinism can play out? Mm-hmm. What are the different ways that something could happen, um, meaning you know, God, divine determinism or human free will or whatever? We're going to try to discuss the different possibilities and then talk about um, what's likely. Yeah, and I actually do want to just interject something about the discussion we were having on if you don't get a job, uh, it may have been God's will to get your job. Because I know I've had a lot of different conversations with people, and when you take away uh, really almost the security of it's going to happen automatically, uh, it can be a really frightening place to be. Mm. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if you are if you are thinking through a big decision, uh, and I'm <laughs> directly talking to myself right now as I try and think through big decisions, but like we still believe that God is sovereign. And so we still believe that um, he has the authority to do things and the power to do things. But what it, and so basically what I'm trying to say is if you do really bad on your interview and you do really bad in school, that doesn't mean that God's done with you. Right, so it doesn't right, mean right. like if you were supposed to get that job, oh, well, I mean, Right. That's that's a bummer, man, because you just messed that up. And so now the rest of your what are we going to do now? Because that that was God's will for your life. And you you managed to mess that up. That's a much more extreme view. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely do want to say that that's not God's not done with you. If right, you right. manage to mess up, quote unquote, an aspect of what his plan is. Yeah, because we're even talking about, you know, does is the is the, if the, if the question is is God heavily involved in your life? You and I both would absolutely yes. agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just what we're thinking through is what does that mean in the practical, detailed moment? Could be a number of different things. Mm-hmm. So God's always going to be heavily involved in your life. And, and you made a key point. I'm glad you brought it up. The security. So, uh, and this goes back. Well, I think it's later in our notes here, but the kind of the psychology of, of a lot of this. Yeah. That I think that you know the more free spirited 
type individual, they tend to prefer the more free will approach to things where those that actually find a lot of security in that God is in control, um, then if we start challenging that a little bit, it, it kind of counters that, that security. Because one of the things may be, well, wait a minute. You're saying it's possible that I wanted that job and God wanted that job, but then whoever did the hiring chose otherwise, and so I didn't get it. And I personally would say, yeah, it's possible. Um, that can freak them out a little bit. And they would say, well, so God's not in control. Well, or God's not sovereign. Well, here, here's my thing. I don't know. God absolutely is sovereign. He's yeah. the final authority in all things, and he has the power to influence it. So the thing is, is that what I would say is he's still sovereign, but he chose to let the employer make the decision, even if it was contrary to his own. And, and if someone, whoa, I don't like that at all, that God's going to let someone choose something contrary to what he wants, I would say, look around you. Mm. Look all throughout Scripture. Yeah. People continually choose things counter to what God wants. And so this this is, we can't get into this here, but this is going to get into the issue of what is the prologue all about. And yeah. so when, when we go, so this is another reason why we're doing this episode, because when we get into the good and the evil and the suffering, we're going to present a theory on why all this is happening, why evil happens, why suffering mm-hmm. happens. It makes a lot of sense to me. It's very comforting to me as we wrapped our mind around it. Um, but it, it assumes certain things from this study. Yeah. So we wanted to bring that up. So if you're not there yet, fine. You know, I, I don't want to scare anybody. Mm-hmm. And I also hope that, that if you're like, well, hold on. Shannon's saying that people can choose stuff outside of God's will so God's not in control. I'm not listening to the rest of this podcast. Please hear us out through all this. Yeah. I'm just willing to push the envelope a little bit to kind of think through all this stuff. Um, so another point with that is people say, ah, but Shannon, it says that God ordains everything. He preordains, mm-hmm. right? Pre- predestination yeah. is the idea. So I remember thinking, because there's some verses that talk about this, this preordaining or predestining. Um, and I'm like, well, what does that mean? And so just, and I know I showed it to you, and you got frustrated because I got frustrated too. Um, I looked it up. So I, 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 don't even, I didn't write down which verse this was. Um, but I know it's, it's the Greek. It's in the New Testament. It's probably it's one of Paul's writings for sure. <laughs> but anyways, it, I looked up predestination. And the Greek word is pro proorizo. And so pro, we know like beforehand or, or pre or whatever. Pro orizo, the literal definition means uh, is uh, to limit beforehand. So orizo would be like to limit, and the pro would be beforehand. So pro orizo, to limit beforehand. So then as I read, and they, these were the, the, the biblical dictionaries, and I yeah. looked up Merriam-Webster and Farlex and all that. Um, uh, f- so they said, so perizo literally means to limit beforehand. Figuratively, figuratively it means to predestined or predetermine or ordain. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what do those words mean? So I looked up those words. And what I found was that predestination has two different potential meanings. Predestination can mean to determine, control, cause, or settle all events. Or it can mean um, setting, uh, well, irrevocable or resistible limits and then influencing, counseling, requesting others to live within those limits. And when you hear that, I'm sure some of you, if you come from a more reformed perspective, you heard that first definition and just like, yeah, predestination, determining, controlling, causing, setting all events. That's what I believe. But hold on, because there's that second definition. And this is where it this is something that I've really just been learning over the last couple months that it is so easy to say that my view's right. I go through, like I've gone through the scriptural passages, I've looked up the words, and I figured out that this word means this, and this means this. And you have this whole complete view of what you believe scripture is teaching on an issue. 
And then someone else comes along and they're just like, no, I have a scriptural view of what the Bible says on this issue. It's like, but, but hold on. Mm-hmm. Like how, how do both of us have a scriptural view of what God is saying about this issue? Th- this type of thing is why, because the word pre predestined predestination, parisio, it means either <laughs> it's deterministic in the sense that God controls everything that's going on or that God influences everything that goes on, which is this whole debate. He set the parameters yeah, so and he set influence per- toward it. So he set parameters and then influences. And so it really is like this word right here means compel slash force or influence and enable, mm-hmm. which are the two camps that we're discussing. And so it's just really interesting how when you actually look into these different things, because it's like this with a lot of the different words in this discussion, mm-hmm. how it could go different ways depending on how you read certain passages And so this is where um, God's just really been teaching me that I have an understanding of this issue. uh, And Shannon and I are pretty much on the same page with this. And that's where I'm coming from. And I think that this makes a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But I need to humbly recognize Mm -hmm. that my Reformed friends are coming to this issue. And they've looked into the Greek and Hebrew words. They've seen both the definitions. They've looked at a complete view of Scripture. And they have a different perspective than me. And it's not... I don't have the right to say that they're wrong and right, I'm right. Correct. I can't say, no, you see, because there's two definitions, but the first one isn't isn't actually it in this case. I know that Paul, when he wrote this, meant the second definition. And they can't say it either. Yeah. And so it really it adds just a whole nother level of complexity to this discussion mm-hmm. because this, this whole discussion is one of the main tensions. I'm not sure if it's the main tension, but, but one it's of the one ones. of the larger tensions in scripture of does God compel or does God control and so compel or influence yeah so does he influence or does he control and force and so when you actually get into this it's just fascinating to me that it really honestly could go either way mm-hmm. and scripture or both hand yeah yeah and so and and that's why spectrum and so mm-hmm. is it this or this or is it some combination and so when I mean even when you just sit there and say no it's this or this well, hold on. Like, how do you actually interpret all the passages? So we, we look at these passages and we say, God, we see you hard determining irres- irresistibly things. Yeah. And then we see you influencing things, but allowing man to have the final say in the moment mm-hmm. on it. Right. Um, so I don't know which it is. Well, and then when I go look up, let me look up, let me look up the actual wording to see if it, it can actually. T- nope. Nope. It still says either one. So then we go to God and say, God, which is it? And then God like kind of sheepishly grins and shrugs his shoulder and goes, I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously he knows, but he's not necessarily going to tell us. Yeah. This is where a trust issue comes in. Because I know when I was in seminary, I hadn't had a whole lot of experience between the free will and reform. And again, not free will sovereignty, mm-hmm. the free will determinism debate. And um, and so that, that was my first time, early, well, at least consistently, yeah. a lot in, in a face. And so I'm, you know, and from your flesh, you want to argue, and I can't, I can't argue, can't argue. And like, Lord, in the end, I want whatever the right answer is. Yeah. I don't want it to be just this one or just this one. I, I want it to be whatever you say it is, and then I want to subscribe to it. So, Lord, please just tell me which one it is. Or again, it's not necessarily it's not an all or nothing because it can be both and. But Lord, can you please give me the exact details of what the answer is of how you use your power, mm-hmm. of how you play it all out in that spectrum? Just go ahead and tell me so I know, and then yeah. I'll stick with it. And, and and then that way I'm ready for when I have these discussions with individuals. And God's like, oh, yeah, great. Sure, I'll tell you what you need to know. 
I do not want you to get in this debate anymore until you are fully 100% First Corinthians 13 style loving mm-hmm. that individual. Once you get yeah. there, then you can have that discussion. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that didn't really answer my question. But, <laughs> yeah, no. um, okay, but it's okay, yeah, sure, fine, I'll, I'll do that. But let's get back. My, my point is, what is the right answer? How does this actually play out? And God's like, oh, oh, oh I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. So here, okay, all right, you ready? Yeah. You are not allowed to get into that discussion with anybody until you're completely unequivocally, according to the biblical definition mm-hmm. of love, loving them. Then you can have that discussion. And I was like, okay, God, I heard you first time. Great, fine. But, you know, mm-hmm. and then, so this just kept kind of going back and forth. Yeah. He never changed his answer. And so it began to dawn on me, he ain't going to tell me, hmm. you know, because love is the most important commandment. And he wanted me to get back to that, that hmm. I need to be, um, you know, having a deep affection for this person across the table from me uh, as I'm um, covenantally committed to their well-being, patiently understanding them and forgiving them of their mm-hmm. wrong and then contributing to their well-being, meeting their needs and, and, and correcting as needed, whatever. But it's all of those things. Um, and so that was, a, that was a big mile marker for me that, that I almost used to look for that debate. So I could pounce on it because I had all this information I wanted to give. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore. And so as we come to this episode here, it's not to promote, you know, free will uh, or Arminianism or over-reformed or, you know, whatever. And yeah. we'll get on these labels later on. It's not really to promote one or the other. It's just let's be honest. This is a very complex thing. Mm-hmm. And we want to we wanna try to um, wrap our mind around as much of the details as we can. And I think it's worth saying that at the exact same time that we approach this humbly and we have to love the other people and we need to have a mind of unity, that it's not, we don't want to say that it doesn't matter where you stand on this issue. Because I feel like it would be really easy to say, okay, so here's the thing. This is complicated and it's nuanced and it has all of these different factors contributing it. You can read Greek words different ways. You can read the entirety of scripture different ways, more or less. Um, so, you know, just kind of pick one, flip flop, do what you need to do. Just love people and be in unity. Yeah. Both of us think that there is something lost. Well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that we would agree that there's something lost when we oversimplify things to the extent of, well, it, it just doesn't matter. Uh, we just want to have love because really it just comes back to the implications. Mm-hmm. How you see free will impacts your decision making mm-hmm. as we just saw how you see determinism influences your decision making and that's just one aspect of life and it goes so much broader than that mm-hmm. that if you don't actually take the time to look into this issue you're going to miss out on a whole lot of nu- yep, nuances, nuances of scripture and we think that it's really valuable to actually be looking into all of them and this goes back to the spectrum discussion yeah. in, in season one in the, in the lenses there that we said you want to think you want to think on a spectrum format with each topic but no po- no topic or issue is self-standing mm-hmm. and so you have to include all the relevant topics and take each of them spectrum in a spectrum fashion you mm-hmm. know and all that stuff so because you talked about how the implications so for example if somebody feels safer just to say that god determines everything in a more extreme way then technically you wouldn't need to put your seatbelt on when you get into your car because God has, God has already determined whether you're going to have an accident or not, whether you're going to get hurt or not. Mm-hmm. So let's say he already determined that you were going to get in an accident, but you weren't going to get hurt. Then whatever, whether you had a seatbelt or not wouldn't matter. 
And so, so you think through, if I actually believe that God determines everything, when we say determines, that he forces yeah. irresistibly everything to happen the way that it plays out, then it really doesn't matter. If, if, this, if the extreme holds true. If the extreme, yeah. If the extreme yeah. holds true, it doesn't matter. Well, I still live my life, put my seatbelt on or locking my doors at night, mm-hmm. you know, or, or uh, I keep to the five-second rule if I drop food on the ground, <laughs> right? Um, and so, so I, I do realize that there's certain things that do affect my, my decisions do affect. So, okay, so maybe I don't believe in the extreme version of hard determinism. I believe in a, a little bit more moderated one, right? So you think through all that. Mm-hmm. So let's continue with this discussion and definitions. And so we want to talk a little bit about free will since we keep talking about it. And so the free will itself is a really crazy thing, you know, because you're getting into what is the will. And we had started in the preparation to go down that path, and we said, nope, we're not even going to go down that path because um, you get into the soul, you get into the, the nephesh and ruach in the Hebrew and, and the thelema and the uh, penuma and the, and the Greek. And I am fascinated with that topic, and we are absolutely going to do an unpacking study next year on that, which means we will eventually do an episode on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the sake of this discussion, we said, you know, let's just, let's just conclude that for the free will, whatever exactly it is, um, that it's it's wait, wait, look, look at my notes here. Um, it's the ability of an individual to choose or make a decision without being forced by another. Mm-hmm. Now we made a note that it could be influenced. Yes. Yeah. So so for example, some would say if it, free will must be even uninfluenced. So it can't it can't be it cannot be forced and it cannot be influenced. I would argue a little bit less than that 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 if if you influence me and you say hey here's my opinion mm-hmm. right um and i make a decision yes your decision was influenced by me um but that but it wasn't forced by me therefore it was still free will yeah just a quick example of that if you have a friend that's really good with technology and you're trying to figure out what laptop you want to buy and you ask your friend hey i'm trying to decide between dell and hp pick two brands uh what what do you think i should do if he says oh i, I would go with this one because it's more reliable it's this it's this it's that you would probably go with his decision, but it's still your decision. Mm-hmm. They're just influencing. Yeah. So, so I hold to and again. There's different definitions and different camps on this. Mm-hmm. But just so you guys know, we're going with that free will can be influenced and it still be free will. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's actually a specific phrase, and this is this phrase is actually going to come up a lot in a lot of the episodes that we teach and, and other rekindling things. And 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 just as a quick side reference with scripture, I was looking at Deuteronomy thirty, nineteen to twenty, and Ecclesiastes eight, sixteen to seventeen, and Luke eighteen, eighteen to twenty seven, and Ephesians one, three to six, and some other ones as well. I was pondering and chewing on those um, as I try to put all this together. And so the phrase that, that I use is significant, limited, irrevocable free will. Now, somebody say, Shannon, come on now. You're not getting this super <laughs> hyper um, qualified, definitively given kind of thing. The whole point of uh, for all this uh, is me me trying to wrap my mind around how why does life play out the way that it does? Because mm-hmm. one of the things is if we get to like if somebody says no God if God wants you to have that job He will get you that job right and they, they believe in that irresistible hard determinism that God's going to get it done. I don't push back on that necessarily. But then the, the, the reverse implications is that rape happened according to God's will. Mm. And some might say, well, it was to his glory. We don't understand it. Da, da, da. I, at this point, I always want to be flexible. At this point in my life, I don't see how I can be convinced that rape was ever God's will. Yeah. Um, and so I can't hold to that, which tells me that something happened outside his will, which then opens this whole discussion. 
And so me thinking through what, what, what to me is the best explanation of why life plays out the way that it does. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so I was, def- I, I was putting in all these points and this is where this terminology comes from that significant, limited, irrevocable free will to me best explains how life plays out the way that it plays out. So let me go ahead and define each of these terms. And again, if you're writing stuff down, I, I encourage you to write this down significant, limited, irrevocable free will with each one of those phrases meaning something so with the free will we just talk about that 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 you have the ability to make a decision on something then we want to add significant um and and what i mean by significant is there is a legitimate availability of multiple options um and so if one has so i hear people say that are more the deterministic type yeah yeah absolutely man has free will absolutely he just always chooses evil and he can only choose evil unless God comes in and empowers him to choose good, mm-hmm. right? So what I would say is, okay, I'm not going to argue that he has free will in the way you're saying it. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't have significant free will because you made the statement he can only choose evil. If you can only choose one option, I understand the argument that you still have free will because you're choosing that option. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to push back on it. But I'm going to add another element and another layer to it. But, okay, sure, that's free will because he's choosing it. But it's not significant free will because he didn't have any other options. Yeah. And so significant free will must entail there legitimately are other options that you can choose. So you could choose the fish or the chicken or you could choose good or evil. So, so this is, again, I'm not saying that Scripture clearly teaches this. Hmm. This is the theory that I think totally fits within scriptural parameters and best explains why life plays out the way that it does. That God has given man significant free will so that he actually has the option to choose. Um, and so, so, so it must, you must be able to choose from two more options. Then you have limited. So it's significant limited free will. And so limited free will means there are constraints set by God mm-hmm. um, on what your significant free will can choose. So for example, and, and this is the example I gave before, can I fly like a bird, you know, flap my wings, jump off a cliff and flap, flap my arms yeah. to fly? No. It doesn't matter how much will power I put into that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. Another example would be, so I'm looking at, at the walls here. Can I phase myself? So, you know, I'm a gamer, a role player, so go ethereal and phase through walls and all that jazz. Can I phase myself through this wall? No. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much willpower I put into that. I can't phase myself through the wall. So I want to acknowledge that God has absolutely established limits on that significant free will. It does not take away the free will because I can still choose the fish or the chicken, which school to go to, whether to believe in him or not, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just I can't choose anything. And I think that someone's like, well, that's not cool. That's not cool that God sets limits. Mm, Given what I know of human nature, it's probably a very good thing that he did set those limits. Mm. right? So imagine what the evil that man already accomplishes already Imagine that if he had a more unlimited approach to that, the, 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 the sheer level and volume of evil that he could accomplish. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with, with that it's significant, limited free will. Then it goes to that third thing, the irrevocable. So significant, limited, irrevocable free will. This becomes controversial to some extent. But what the irrevocable is, God won't ever revoke that free will. So, so one, it is significant. You actually have options. Two, he does put limits on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but three, he will not revoke it. Yeah. Um, and, and so in a minute, we're going to get to why would he do that. But, it, but I want to explain it a little bit more. Because, again, it makes the most sense to me that God has decided 
that significant limited free will is a very beneficial and good thing. And so he gives man significant, significant, so significant free will is a very good thing. It's, it's much more substantive for man to choose something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he wanted to give man significant free will. He did know that he needed to put limits on that so that things didn't get too crazy. So it's limited significant free will. But another thing for him is, is, and this is where we get into, but then God's not in control. Of course, he's still, it depends what you mean by in control, right? Sure. He's still sovereign. He still has final say on things. But the theory would be is that he made the decision ahead of time. When, when I create this world and I give man significant, limited free will, um, I am not going to revoke it. It is so important that they have this, that I will not revoke it, that I am actually going to allow them to choose whatever they want to choose. Mm. So if they choose to believe in me, great. If they choose to, to not believe in me, there's consequences for that. But I'm going to allow them to have that choice. And so this gets into... Um, and it's such an extreme, and normally I don't like giving extreme analogies, but it's, but it's a powerful emotional one. It is the one of the rape, that if I see a rape or molestation happen, it's not that God, that was part of God's will. God didn't get glorified because somebody raped somebody. I just, I just, I just reject all of that. Um, but, what, so, but, then, but then you would say, so God, but why did you allow that, you know, if it wasn't your will? And he would say, because I've given man irrevocable significant limited free will and so that individual chose to do that and 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 this was a risk for me and it was a risk for all of you as well that i chose to make it irrevocable understand this does not mean that i wasn't involved Hmm. that i stepped away and i i I wiped my hands of it all it's not not at all what i mean by that 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 i would say i would make the argument uh and again i'm not telling you you have to believe this i'm just presenting my understanding of things that God would say, I was absolutely nudging and influencing and whispering to that guy for 20 years to stay close to me and, and deny these extreme sexual or power, a lot of times power, power urges, you mm-hmm. know. And so I was constantly nudging and influencing him not to do that. And he constantly re- resist, rejected, you know, resisted. Um, I was influencing the runner to run a different path, but they weren't listening to me. Or I was influencing um, some people that were sitting nearby to sit at a different table because if they had sat at that table, they actually would have heard it, maybe stepped in. But they, they didn't do that. And, and so unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave this hanging but the, so the thing is, is that God says, I have chosen, I, you know, again, my, my presentation of this, that God would say, I have chosen not to revoke man's free will um, because there's a purpose to all this. And we're going to get so ugh, when we get into the why does God allow evil? And why does he allow mm-hmm. suffering? Um, you'll hear people throw out different reasons all the time. And what I have found is each of those individual reasons alone by themselves would not be a good enough reason good enough reason why but they're probably all true and when you combine all of them together it starts to paint a picture so i want to encourage you if you're flipping out right now um please listen through all of this and then listen to the good study the evil study and the suffering study because we're going to lay all this stuff out more in ground where right now we're just kind of discussing theoretical maybe i even shouldn't even brought it up yet but but we're throwing it out there um, listen to all of it, and you'll see there's a number of different factors going on yeah. that, that would allow for that. And so, so anyways, so the point of all that is that, that theory would be that God has chosen to give the irrevocable, limited, significant free will to man. To mm-hmm. me, the question of why he does that is still a huge question, but I will say that I feel like it at least um, best explains w- the way life is played out. Uh, and bef- before you add real quick, one other thing on that, people want people want to go back to Pharaoh and and, uh, and God. Mm-hmm. Uh, God hardened his heart, so he, he revoked his free will. 
I would argue, no, he never revoked the free will, that Moses, that Pharaoh was always chosen, choosing to resist God yeah. and resist Moses and, and, and the Hebrews. Um, and so God said, fine, we're going to go with that. Um, but that's not a revoking of it. It's just running with what Pharaoh had already chosen. Yeah, and I think that just everything that you were just talking about really brings up another example of the implications of what you believe on this. And so especially as we talk about good and evil and suffering over the next couple podcasts, this is w- this is the perspective that we're coming from with free will. And that conversation looks a whole lot different if you fall into more of the reformed camp of why is there evil? Why is there sin? Why is there suffering? All of those different things have a different answer. Um, and we are both of the same persuasion that the answer to that lies somewhere in free will and that answers that question more effectively than our understanding of what reformed teaching would say and so this is really just um us saying that this is a complicated issue Mm -hmm. and reformed theologians do have uh, are working through answers to those questions i don't think anyone really has like a set like oh i figured this out but like we're all trying to work towards the same questions just this is really how we have uh thought through and just been uh just what our understanding really consists of in regards to this type of issue yeah so and what's interesting is because then you get into that the mystery answer that it's just a mystery so what i find fascinating is this is why we have we have to be respectful of all the different camps so if if i'm if if a reformed person or more deterministic person is arguing that everything happens according to the will of god so if somebody gets raped, uh, for as tough as that is for us to accept, we have to accept that it was the will of God. And because God is trustworthy and good mm-hmm. and, and sovereign and all-knowing and all that kind of thing, it's a mystery to us how he could be glorified through that or how he, how, how he could how, use that in how a he could use way it for or, good, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a mystery. We're willing to acknowledge that, but we just keep it at that. So, so we believe that, that it did happen according to God's will for his glory and or for another good. And it's a mystery as to how that occurred. We just trust that it did, right? Mm-hmm. So then for, 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 so they present that. For others, they listen to that and they say, that's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, I, I can't, you know why I can't think of any reason how it might glorify God or create some other good? Because it can't. Hmm. Therefore, I reject that answer. So then they might hold to, to more of this camp that I was just presenting, that, that the irrevocable free will would then answer it. Yeah. That that man chose to do that, not God. It wasn't part of his will. It didn't glorify God in any way. It was just part of the this irrevocable free will. But then that brings up why in the world, if God knew everything ahead of time, that irrevocable free will was going to cause this much mm-hmm. evil, why in the world would God give man irrevocable free will? Yeah. And then the answer to that might be, well, that's the mystery that we don't fully understand why he chose to give irrevocable free will, um, but we, we trust that it was the good, right, proper thing. You know, So it's a mystery. So what happens is it depends on the person where they're willing to let the mystery answer be the answer and not let the mystery answer be the answer. Yeah. And this gets back to psychologically. It gets back to presuppositions. And so we can't sit there and say, you're wrong, I'm right, or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, now we're just trying to be honest that I'm – well, and see, even for me, though, to me, it's not a mystery of why he gave the, the free, significant, limited, irrevocable free will. When, and we're, you know, fortunately, we can't get into that now. Yeah. So you're going to listen to the, the good episode, the evil episode, and uh, evil slash sin episode, and the suffering episode. We'll highlight all that again and again and again through mm-hmm. those three. 
Um, but anyways, so there is some mystery on that, but it's but it's way down the road because I find a whole bunch of reasons why he might offer that. Mm-hmm. To, to touch on that real quick, um, I'm just going to read some of my notes here. It seems that uh, good leadership, this is a more philosophical argument than anything, but it seems that good leadership employs enabling rather than controlling with the occasional need for compelling. Yeah. Um, that's philosophical, more spiritual, that God recognized that, that this irrevocable, significant, limited free will was needed for moral responsibility. This is going to be something that we're going to bring up later on when we explain kind of why we think God is doing things the way that he's doing it, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, that moral responsibility, he actually wanted to give man the responsibility to step up and do moral slash right slash good slash loving slash beneficial things. So he says, I want to, I, when I make man, when I make humans, I want to give them moral responsibility. I want them to be responsible for doing good and not doing bad. Mm-hmm. But the only way that I can make them responsible for that, and it was very important that I make, give them that responsibility. I, if, if I'm going to give them moral responsibility, it seems that I need to give them significant, limited, irrevocable free will yeah. to actually accomplish that. Um, and so, so God knew for it to mean anything that we ha- had to have the ability to choose good or evil, love or hate, obedience or rebellion. God wanted to give us the opportunity and responsibility to choose to pursue what is right. And then he would reward those you know, who, who would choose rightly. And this is because God, who freely loves and blesses us, desires that love, obedience, etc., be freely chosen, not forced. This is the argument you're going to hear a lot. That just as God is praised for freely choosing to bestow grace on us, he is pleased when we freely choose to love and obey him. To me, there's a consistency there with that. And so this means that if God wanted us to freely choose love and obedience, we must also have the equal opportunity to freely choose hate, rebellion, sin, etc. So that's that's a quick Mm -hmm. argument. We'll get more into this in other studies, but a quick argument as to why free will becomes needed or required or good or, or, or whatever. One note on that, keeping in mind... Because um, then some say, but if I can choose my faith, like I chose to believe in Jesus, then I get a boast in that. And Paul says that I can't boast in that, therefore I didn't choose it. That's an oversimplification. That's equating and conflating concepts that aren't necessarily equated and, mm-hmm. and conflated. And so so I, I just wrote my notes here. One, keep in mind that God never needs us to act. He could have accomplished all of it on its own. Like, I fully agree that mm-hmm. he, he could have made everything on his own, robots, whatever. He could have done all of it. But he, he chose to let us take a part in it all. And that was a risk. This is, this is one of my big key theology points, was that God didn't need humans to have moral responsibility and significant free will. Mm-hmm. But he wanted us to be an active part of the story that he was telling. And so he chose to give us moral responsibility and significant, limited, irrevocable free will, knowing that that was going to entail a risk. But this would go back to, and we'll get into more of this later, it seems that the risk was worth it hmm. for as much as it may not seem like in the moment, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and keep in mind that we couldn't act without him first empowering us anyways. So for me, one can freely choose to believe in Jesus, and it's not a bragging or boasting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so that's just some comments on free will. And you can see where this is heady, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I keep wanting to reiterate, because even because when you're talking, it's natural just to talk as if this is true. Yeah, I am presenting the paradigm that makes the most sense to me. Of it makes the most sense of scripture, makes the most sense of just life in general, um, and it and it doesn't contradict anything I can find in scripture. So it still fits within those parameters. And this would go back to the more deterministic approach, would seem to also fit within parameters. Yeah. So we're just we're just trying to talk it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that that if you are curious about this debate or topic that we're trying to get, we're trying to give all the information we can with that. So let's let's continue then. So given all of these kind of definitions of sovereignty and determinism and free will, we can now get into the spectrum. So here we get into the basic camps. Now, one, um, well, actually, we haven't gone to the spectrum. Maybe a couple more things I want to mention. <laughs> um, and this goes back. Let me let me reiterate that definition of determinism. It's it's the process by which something occurred. Yeah. And so so when we're trying to figure out determinism, what we're trying to figure out is the process by which things occurred. Did God cause it? Man cause it? Both? Random? Etc. So it seems that we we learned this in the Job. We did we did a Job study a year ago, in my community group, and it was awesome. It was cha- it was you know gut punching, eye opening, etc. Mm-hmm. And and we talked about how there's a simple the, Job gets into a simple view of justice and a complex view of justice. And when we get into the justice righteousness study, we're going to go through all that. But the, but comparatively, there's also a simple view of determinism, uh, and then a complex view of determinism. And so the simple view of determinism, it, it's pretty much just God causes, God makes everything happen. Yeah. Um, but there's like an A and B kind of subcamps within that because nothing can be <laughs> cut and dry. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the simple view of determinism, A, is much more of that extreme. God causes all things to happen. Man and angels and animals have no say in that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Not as many people hold to that one. But the simple view of justice our simple view of determinism be a lot more hold to, which is in the end, God does cause all things to happen. Man and angels and animals do have free will and they play some role to that, but it is so multiple levels down below what God is causing. Mm-hmm. So it's one small factor, um, very negligible, almost as if it didn't count. Yeah. But somehow it does to some extent a little bit. So the simple view of justice, most people held to that is like, well, listen, it's, everything happens according to God's will. And yes, there is some free will in there, but the free will is a minor factor in all of it, right? Mm-hmm. So as always, with everything that we do with rekindling, we're realizing that the simple view of things is nice to explain and teach, but usually not accurate to the reality of the situation, that the reality of life, the reality of existence tends to be more complex. And so what we realize is that if we're trying to be really true to everything, there's the, the more accurate thing is probably a complex view of determinism. And so we're going to work you through this. This is where it can get a little confusing. And this is where it'd be really nice to actually, if you had a whiteboard or a paper to kind of draw this out. Um, but we're going to go through what are some of the points that if you hold to a more complex view of determinism, what, would, what are the things that you need to keep in mind? So one thing to keep in mind is... Um, Oh, this gets so confusing. Okay, so but but it's helpful if you actually map it out. Yeah. First thing you want to keep in mind is is we're going to talk about hard determinism versus soft determinism. So this 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 is getting back to what we're trying to do here is we're trying to label and clearly define the different components. And it's really easy to want to bleed those components together or conflate them or mix them or equate them or whatever. We want to, we want to move away from that. We want to, we want to try to break it down to as detailed as we can. Now we we can't go as detailed as possible because you get to the quantum level yeah. of reality and that's way beyond you know so so you might at the quantum level there might be pushback to some of this but we're just trying to get to where we can anyways so so what we're defining is there's hard determinism and soft determinism hard determinism is something that's irresistible mm-hmm. um and so that that something it's it's um it, it, you make something happen or you make so you change something or you override something there's an intentionality and it can it cannot be resisted in the moment there's there's with a hard when something is hard determined there's no other way around it mm-hmm. 
where something is soft determined, that becomes the influence. So there was some sort of influence, some sort of persuading, some sort of nudging going on, but it, it can still be resisted. So as we go through and present kind of the big picture to everything, you want to keep in mind, like they keep saying hard determinism and soft determinism. What do they mean by that? They mean that it was irresistibly determined and then it, or it was in, uh, influential, right? Yeah. So there's hard and soft. Then you also have, um, oh, oh, then within soft, you have, uh, uh, <laughs> just to complicate things, a degree of from weak to strong. So with hard, it's just hard. It's either there or not. It's either irresistible or it's not. Right. But yeah, good. But with the influence and the persuading, there can be weak persuasion, persuasion, and there can be strong persuasion. Um, and so we want. So you want to keep in mind when you write. There's hard determinism and soft determinism. Within soft determinism, there's a spectrum or continuum or degree of weak to hard. So let's give an example just so we don't lose everybody. Um, So we gave the example of a stoplight. So a stoplight turns red or yellow or green. Mm -hmm. If it's hard determinism, then what it would mean is when it turned red, all cars would automatically stop. There was nothing that the driver could do. Uh, to resist that. So the red, the car will stop. Yellow, the car will slow down. Green, the cars will go. And so if street lights or stoplights are stoplights are hard deterministic, then th- it's the stoplight itself that determines whether a car is going, slowing down, or stopping. Mm-hmm. Are stoplights hard deterministic? No. No, they're soft deterministic. Mm-hmm. So, so they are suggesting to everybody whether they should go or slow down or stop, mm-hmm. right? Now, this is going to vary from country to country. So here in America, um, are stoplights more are they uh, more of a strong soft determinism or a weak soft determinism? Uh, well, I I feel like it would be more of a weak determinism. And why? Because I mean, like, not really many people actually listen to stoplights. Like, you you see a lot of people just drive th- right through. So, so okay, let's take a second. You see a lot of people drive through. Let's actually map out the reality versus the perception. Hmm. So, when a stoplight is green, what percentage of traffic is going? Most all of it. Almost all of it. Yeah. You, you very rarely do you see someone stop at a green light. Or slow down at a green light. Mm-hmm. Um, r- let's go red. So when the light is red, approximately what percentage of cars will stop? Uh, upper 90s. Yeah, the far majority yeah. will stop. It's the rare occasion that you see somebody run a red light. Mm-hmm. So with that, that shows that it's actually a strong hmm. soft determinism that people understand, even though they have a, they technically can, can resist what the stoplight is saying. Yeah. In general, and here's why, because you could die mm-hmm. <laughs> or kill somebody <laughs> mm-hmm. if you don't listen to that. So a stoplight is not hard determinism. It's soft determinism. Yeah. The red and the green are, are a strong soft determinism. Mm-hmm. Yellow, middling. Yeah. Right. So that that really kind of depends on the person where they speed up or slow down. Mm-hmm. So that might be a middling. So this is where, you know, you start to get complicated. Oh, wow. this is <laughs> So you're telling me, you know, here's what I learned when I listened to the rekindling episode on interdeterminism. A red light is a strong, soft determinism, and a green light is a strong, soft determinism. A yellow light is a middling, soft determinism, <laughs> but it's not hard determined, right? Mm-hmm. But again, we're trying to try. Let's, we're trying to wrap our minds around yeah. all of this. Um, so then we talk, we'll just kind of briefly go through a, a speed limit sign. 
probably is a middling or even weak soft attorney. Yeah, like on the highway. Yeah, on the highway, because mm-hmm. most people go above the speed limit, so yeah. that's probably weaker. Now, if it's a speed limit sign with a cop car part right, parked right next to it, then it becomes a much stronger uh, soft determinism mm-hmm. where you're more likely to go ahead and take its suggestion <laughs> yeah. right, of it. So, so those are some examples mm-hmm. of soft determinism. An example of a hard determinism, let's, let's keep with the driving. Um, so, you know, it, around government buildings, um, Hmm. There's those those mechanisms that can spring up real quick. Either, either the, they're the pillars or yeah, it's the concrete or it's like that flips the, up or mm-hmm. whatever. And so these things are these super thick steel and concrete. They're they're almost instantaneous in how fast they can go up. Um, let's say I'm in a a, a, a Ford Fiesta. Okay, that's red. Why not? Right, sure. a red <laughs> Ford Fiesta, and I'm cruising along, and one of those things flip up on me. Is that a soft determinism of whether I stop or not, or a hard determinism of whether I stop or Definitely not? Definitely a hard determinism. Definitely a hard. Yeah. I mean, nothing They're, I can do. Mm-mm. My red Ford Fiesta hits that thing, I'm stopping. Yeah. Um, another example of hard determinism, what we gave beforehand, was you're standing there on the side of a street, and a little kid, and let's say it's green light, mm-hmm. and a little kid isn't paying attention and starts to walk out into traffic with that green light going, and there's, there's oncoming traffic. Um, and so you just, you know, instantaneously, you grab that kid by the coat uh, or the neck or whatever, mm-hmm. and you yank that kid back. And, l- and let's say you are a Chicago Bears lineman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a little, like, you know, uh, four-year-old. Is there anything that four-year-old can do to resist you yanking him back up on the sidewalk? Nope. No. So, so that's another example of hard determinism. So this will help you understand the difference between hard and soft, hard Nothing's going to change. That's that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. The the lineman determined that that kid was not going to be in the street. Yeah, and there was nothing he could do about it. Where soft determinism would be if the if the if the lineman yelled at the kid, "Hey, kid, don't walk out in the street." Mm-hmm. That's now a soft determinism. Now, if it's somebody who's real down the street, so they're they're fainter of hearing, and the kid doesn't know them, and the kid's got a walkman, etc. That would be a weak soft determinism. Mm-hmm. If it's his mom or his dad or this big bulky lineman that he just saw, who's right near him, and in this deep, almost angry voice yells, "Get back in the street!" That becomes a strong soft determinism. Yeah. Right? So as we explain all this, we can see all that. Then, so so you have hard and soft. Mm-hmm. Um, within soft, you have between weak and strong. Yeah, and just one more time, yeah. with hard and soft, that is the difference between irresistible or resistible. Right. And so then we also see, uh, just to recap and say it in a different way, so mm-hmm. it's hard and soft, irresistible or resistible, and then um, also with soft determinism, so the more of that influential, is it a strong influence or a weak influence? So what you have is you've got um, things that are irresistible, mm-hmm. And then you got things that are resistible. Yep. And within things that are resistible, there's a heavily influential persuasion, and there's a weak, lighter yes. persuasion. Yep. So then another element is active versus passive. So active is um, whoever's causing the source of that determinism. They're intentionally in the moment acting. Where passive is, maybe in the past it was an active thing, but now it's just kind of set up and running. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we could use, um, if we use the traffic thing, the um, typically stoplights are more passive in the sense that they're timed. You know, they kind of go. Yeah. But imagine if there was a city engineer that just sat there at the stoplight and then they actually managed it. Mm-hmm. That would be more active. Um, if, um, ooh, here's an example with a kid. If... 
if there's a tree up on the sidewalk a ways up and the parent has tied uh, an unbreakable chain to the kid um, but that they can roam a little bit it's more passive where if the parent or the lineman is grabbing the kid and pulling them back in the moment it's more active yeah uh, laws of nature so passive would be like for example gravity so God established gravity in the beginning that was more of an active thing when he established the gravity mm-hmm. but now the gravity just kind of runs yeah. it just exists and so it's more passive and that's a passive hard determinism and that, that, and that yeah so yeah so gravity well ugh. <laughs> and you can you can really begin to see before we start getting too deep into examples this is what we were just talking about with when you get down into just the quantum level just the really really detailed stuff you can see how you can start to just play around with oh uh, how do you actually define yeah, gravity because i can sort of resist gravity by jumping up in the air but it can only be for a second. Gravity always wins in the end because it pulls me back down. Yeah. And so, it, but like, we don't want to lose you guys. Right. We, like, th- this isn't the point that we're setting our no, hands we're, on. No, we're just, so, so we're going somewhere with yeah. this. Okay, so with, with all that, you have, you have the hard and soft or, or the irresistible and resistible. You have the degrees, mm-hmm. you know, strong and weak. You also have the active and passive. Um, you also have non-determinism, which is... Um, something a non-action non-causing non-influence um and so so something like for example um hmm, let's say on that street kroger's is there and kroger's has a a sale going on Mm -hmm. well no no let's not say that um kroger's just changed their their um awnings from light blue to dark blue that probably is a non-deterministic factor in the whole driving at, at the intersection there. Yeah. So, so not everything always has a deterministic role. Mm-hmm. Something's going to be non-deterministic in the moment. Yeah. Right? So, so there's those issues there. Next thing that you want to continue in this complex view of determinism is that there are multiple agents or actors or doers or sources of the determinism. They're helping to tell God's story with, with accountability. So if we were to list out the different agents in the deterministic god is an agent so god could could determine something whether hard or soft act or passive he can be a determining factor mm-hmm. uh angels whether f- oh, the loyal angels or the oh, disobedient rebelling ones right so angels or demons yeah. can can have it can be a factor humans can be a factor animals can be a factor so an example a beaver makes the decision to build a dam in a, in a certain pond in a certain part of uh, yellowstone national park then that beaver's decision is going to have ramifications and affect you know other people so so animals uh, and animals are sentient they may think at a different level of sentience than 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 we humans do but but there's a sentience there so god the angels and demons the humans the animals or the the fauna um, all they're all sentient factors you also have nature which is a non-sentient factor. So there is there is no mother nature. Some there's no sentient being that you know manages all that. Just nature itself mm-hmm. with the storms uh, and and the way the nature flows. All you know earthquakes, all that jazz. Now, nature can be influenced by these other agents. Sure. So God can influence nature. Some may say God actually controls nature. Um, uh, so and so side note on that. I hold to God set up a, uh, a nature uh, weather system and lets the weather system run. Occasionally, maybe stepping in to mm-hmm. cause or stop some component. But in general, he set it up and it now runs. Where I've got other friends that actually hold to, he's very active in hard determining 
what the weather is at any given point at any given location. Mm -hmm. So there's different camps. And and that's different from a perspective that would say God originally just initiated everything on earth and now he just completely stepped back more of that deistic. Right. This is uh, specifically just weather. Yeah. So just with weather. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, you know, and animals can, can uh, affect weather and, and humans can affect weather and, you know, all, all these things, which we won't, we're, <laughs> we're, we're kind of laughing, smiling in the studio right now. Anyways, so you have God himself, you have the, the angels and demons, you have man, you have the, the fauna and the animals, you have nature, the flora and all that, that can, that can be influenced. Oh, oh, because even also I want to make a point, Greg Boyd and others um, hold to that, that spiritual warfare theodicy. Um, that that demons, that Satan and his minions can control weather, and it's them that's causing the storms that kill people. It's a warfare thing, not God causing that because somehow he got glory, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so again, there's different debates. We're just or different camps. We're just throwing all that out there. Um, and then and then also uh, the last one potentially is the idea of randomity and chance. And I think this, I think you said maybe this is where we might disagree a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know where I am, but I lean in one direction. And so what this would be is is that the, the, the idea that God went ahead and actually threw in another factor. So, so if you hold to the more complex view of determinism, it's now because we, we said God is sovereign. So God is the one that has final say on all this. Yeah. So the simple view just says there's God and God alone that causes all of it. And there either is no free will or it's there, but it's secondary or tertiary. The complex view of determinism would say that God says, I'm actually going to bring other other factors, other agents into this. So I'm going to have a role mm-hmm. with all of this. And angels are going to have a role, uh, demons and humans and animals. And then possibly that randomality or chance element. And I lean towards this. It seems to make sense to me, but I can't. I couldn't back it up. I couldn't confirm it. Sure. But the idea would be that he's, I'm going to add this factor in as well. So what this factor is none of the sentient beings caused that that this is literally just a rolling of the dice and i know someone would disagree that god does not roll the dice and that kind of deal um i've been playing around with the idea and i'm like man that would actually make sense is that they're also occasionally not, not a huge component it would be a very small component mm-hmm. but there'd be a small component of chance and so when we get to determinism the process by which something happened the complex view of determinism would say that it might have been a combination of God, angels, demons, humans, animals, nature, and randomality, um, and not like a that seventh, not not an equal fourteen percent each, mm-hmm. um, and not that it even has to add up to a hundred percent, right? Because they could quantum whatever, but that it, and, and and not all seven could be these five or these three or these two or these seven. And so, so what the complex view of determinism would state, and so, so this, so let's put all together and, and kind of create this chart. So if you have these columns, so, you, so imagine there's a column of each of the agents. And so there's God, the divine, and then there's the angels, demons, humans, animals, nature, and randomity. And again, maybe you cross that row sure. out, that's fine. Yeah. But let, let's draw the whole big chart and then people can take out what they want to take out. So in the first column, it's the agents. And then in the next column, it's either active or passive. And then in the next column, it's either um, hard or soft. And then you would have to make a note with the soft of where on, the, on that degree of weak to strong it played out. Mm-hmm. And so the point of drawing this chart out is you're trying to draw out all the different possible combinations of things. And again, I'm a big believer in when you're discussing things like this, first identify all the possibilities without evaluating them. Yeah. Just identify all the possibilities and put it together then once you put them all together then you can begin evaluating so so if you're going to and i would say please use a spreadsheet for this because mm-hmm. this can get kind of complex and i've done this and it's actually a lot of fun it's, it's you know it's again it's heady 
But so here's the idea. Here are all the different examples of, of uh, a determining factor. It could be the, the, the God, God's active hard determinism, God passive hard determinism, God's uh, strong, soft determinism. And let's just go ahead and put three camps in there. God's middling strong determinism and God's weak, um, God's middling soft determinism, God's weak, soft determinism. Mm-hmm. So that's five. Then you would have angelic heart determinism. You would have... And on the three um, strong, weak, and meddling of the soft determinism, there's also active and passive. Oh, man, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let, let's... <laughs> so add we're, we're, we're not going to walk through all this, but I want to walk through at least a couple pieces so you can mm-hmm. see. So you would have divine heart determinism. Or okay, you have divine active heart determinism and the divine passive heart determinism. Then you would have divine active soft determinism with three different subpoints under that, mm-hmm. and then divine passive soft determinism with, with three different points. points under that. So now you've got eight points, mm-hmm. right? Um, then you would have angelic heart determin- active heart determinism, angelic passive heart determinism, uh, angelic soft active soft determinism, and three subpoints, angelic passive soft determinism, and three points. So eight more there. Um, and then you would do the same, say for demons. And then the same for humans, mm-hmm. and the same for animals. And if there's, so, if there's eight on each of them, that's now forty. And then you would have nature. So nature's not sentient. So I don't think you can have. Well, you can still write the categories in, but then it, well, once you actually yeah, begin to go yeah. through. So let, let's go ahead and do that. That for nature, and then for randomality. So technically, you would have. That's seven. That's fifty-six. Technically, you would have fifty-six oper- uh, fifty-six different possibilities, fifty-six different combinations of how something determines something else. Yeah. Some of them you could rule out kind of right mm. away. That's, that's a like an animal's not going to have a hard determination. Uh, uh, um, a chimpanzee. Or maybe not. Yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> See, uh, it's a chimp- more complicated. A chimpanzee attacking a human. Um, now. Because we have examples of this where mm-hmm. they, they rip people's faces off and things like that because they're much stronger than we are. Oh, and so... And yeah, and so so the human couldn't resist it. I mean, the human tried to resist sure. it, but the human did not effectively resist it. So you can actually have... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so but yeah. I, think, I think some of the ones you can immediately eliminate would be from those last two categories so like like a, a natural hard a natural soft weak I don't, I'd have to think through if there was possibilities yeah. but anyways the point of all this is we've now identified 56 different reasons or ways that something could have happened mm-hmm. and so when we say for example um, I was born in Peoria Illinois December 7th 1972 um, we know from the book of Acts that God determines the time and place of your birth. So in that sense, God actively hard determined that I was born in that place at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to University of Illinois fighting Illini. Um, never once did I actually pray over that to see kind of what, I was just as a teenager, it's where I wanted to go. I didn't want to go to other schools, etc. So at least one of the factors in that was a human active... Well, uh, okay, this was my free will, but what affected me? Um, so my counselor had really wanted me to go to U of I. Um, I uh, the campus honors program granted me a scholarship, which was an influence there, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. So the campus honors program at University of Illinois was a human, soft, middling, a human, active, soft, middling determinism. My counselor had wanted me to go there. So that was a human, active, 
soft middling determinism. Um, and then, but anyway, so, so you could sit there and make a list. And obviously I think that God had, you know, he was involved he, with that, yeah. right? But it wasn't a hard determinism. That, that would be a divine um, active or passive, you know what I'm saying? So the point of all that is, if I was to map out why did I choose the University of Illinois, I could probably look at those 56 combinations. And so, for example, with the, um, the human, active, passive, middling, there were at least two. Um, my counselor and the campus honors program and actually several of my friends were going there that also wanted me to go there so I, I could almost come up with like six of just that example yeah and then like did nature have anything to do with it no so that was out right mm-hmm. but so I look at these 56 and I'm saying okay you know what this one this one this one and this one so these five all had a role and of, of this fifth one there was like eight examples of that so I had five um, well four plus eight I had 12 I had 12 different factors and it's so that's so such a minuscule. Yeah, and it's yeah so normally, much more than yeah, that. <laughs> normally, you're going to have dozens, if not hundreds, mm-hmm. or at the quantum level, quintillions um, of factors that yeah. played into that. And if we were to actually sit here for two hours just to figure out all of the factors that went into you going to the University of Illinois, we could come up with a whole lot more than just twelve. Like oh yeah, yeah, right, it's right, really right. Interesting. Like, but yeah. this is the difference between a simple view of determinism and a complex complex view view of determinism because the simple view is just God caused this to happen. Mm -hmm. And so how did he cause it to happen? What I hope that this really just shows that it takes it to a whole new level when you actually begin to look into this and it's so much more complicated. It's so much more messy. Like there it's more difficult, but if you ignore all of those different options and if you were to just say, no, that, that was God's will, and that's what happened, well, it it really would seem that there are these other factors that also influence that decision. Mm-hmm. And so a quick side note, because I know you're from Michigan, it's Illinois, not Illinois. Oh. The S is silent. Just want to I appreciate that. that. Yeah. I think I did know that, but it just... Yeah, people still say regardless. it. Uh, Missouri, Missouri. <laughs> Anyways, so the point of all this is so the complex view identifies there's like 56 different technically possibilities and you could have more than one example of each in a given situation. Mm-hmm. So the complex view of determinism would say, so, and it wouldn't say it is always 2% hard determinism, divine hard determinism, 8% angelic, soft, weak determinism, 3% human, you know, sorry, there's not an exact, exact, exact set percentage. Mm-hmm. It's totally gonna vary from situation to situation, person to person. And so the idea here is that, that to me, that would more better explain life and scripture. Hmm. That So for example, when you're reading a passage and it says something like, God determines, the, in the book of Acts, God determines the time and place of your birth. You could say, oh wow, okay, so that is a divine, active, hard determinism, and that alone. None of the other 55 combinations played into that. That was only that one. Mm-hmm. But then, then when you look at something else and you see that was man was choosing something or, or Satan, you know, um, Jesus says to Peter that the Satan is trying to sift you like wheat. So that the, uh, and, and, and the devil is r- 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 uh, prowling like a roaring lion looking mm-hmm. to devour you, you know, and influence you. Take every thought captive, all the spiritual warfare passages. It would show there's more factors going on. And so, and so our point of all this, like, you know, what do you guys get to with this? Be careful when you make overly simplified conclusions about why something happened. Yeah. To say that, oh, it must have been God's will. Mm, maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe not. Maybe there were other factors going on. And, and I don't think, by the way, 
your goal is is in every situation, everything that happens. You know, so determinism is is the process by which something happens. Your goal would not be to figure out in the moment what was the percentages and combinations of different factors that played out. Because this goes back to the book of Job. So Job was like, Lord, it seems from, from my viewpoint here that you're being unfair and unjust. Can you please explain yourself to me? And so God never actually tells Job why he's doing what he did. And again, now God was, that was, so Job was some hard determinism, mm-hmm. but also some, you know, the Satan, he gave power for the Satan to kind of go do some of this stuff. So there, there was a d- demonic uh, factor here as well. But, but God says to Job, listen, were you there when I create, come up with the concept of gravity? You know, do you know how a, why a doe eats the way that a doe eats? You know, can you take on Leviathan or Behemoth? You know, all these things. The point that God was making to Job was there are a whole bunch of factors going on of which I know all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not going to reveal them all to you. I need you to trust me. Yeah. And Job did. He stepped up and he trusted and, and God rewarded him for that. And so, so when, we, when we're presenting all this to you guys... Um, and we're saying that that we're you know we're we're promoting this this complex view of determinism. It's not saying that God's not in control, because we believe that God is sovereign. That if life plays out through a variety of these different factors, mm-hmm. it's only because God set it up that way, and that God was okay with allowing some things in the moment to go outside of His hands because He wanted to give man free will or whatever. Um, and so we would say that it's not that God's not in control. He is sovereign. He still has final say. But the, what we're presenting is the possibility that he doesn't determine everything mm-hmm. in a hard fashion. That we might argue he does a whole lot more soft determinism than, than he does hard determinism. And there's angelic and demon, demonic and human and animal nature and po- possibly randomality that are also factors in that. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we're saying just think bigger. Um, with that and then we're also not saying that you should try to map out <laughs> yeah. um, all these different occurrences and what happens because I don't think we can so so now both groups the simple and the um, uh, complex still there's an element of trusting in God hmm. um, but there's also an intentionality though that this is one of the reasons why I admire the complex because if you hold a more simple view of, of determinism that God determines everything then you just trust him to do it all and it doesn't matter what you do or don't do hmm. And so it takes responsibility and intentionality off of you. I think God very much values humans to be intentional and responsible. And so when you take a complex view, you understand absolutely God has a, a big role in all this to some hard determinism level or soft determinism level, whatever. Yeah. Um, but there's also other factors, including my own weights and, the, you know, and, and listening to count wise counsel. Mm-hmm. And the Bible tells you to listen to wise counsel. That would be other factors. Um, and so what, what that complex view of determinism does is, you know what, there's a whole lot going on here and I can't map all of it out, hmm. but I do need to know it's not just this blind trust that I don't need to, I don't need to worry about it. I do need to pay more attention to all the different, you know, so for example, if there's a demonic influence here, then I need to be praying. Yeah. Right. And that kind of thing. So, so that, that's what we wanted to encourage with all that. Um, so anyways, all that said, we can now turn to the spectrum. And, and we probably should have said this at the back of the beginning. You, you, and I think we're, you know, we're going to try to put timestamps on all these. Um, getting to kind of the conclusion or the, or the final picture of it mm-hmm. all. We wanted to take some time to actually explain all these different concepts and definitions so that we could get to this. It might have been <laughs> you could have skipped all that and, and come right to here. My bad. <laughs> Sorry mm-hmm. about that. You know? yeah. um, but you may have actually are glad that you actually listened to all of this um, as, as we went through it. And if you did uh, skip through and you're just picking up here, I would encourage you, even if you do have an understanding of what you think that this issue is all about, to go back and listen to the last two hours or however much you managed to 
uh, get through because everything that we've said leading up to this point really does cultivate, cultivate, culminate, culminate. That's that's what I'm looking for um, in how the spectrum actually lays itself out. So I want it. Uh, encourage you to just be here, but we're glad that you made it to this point. <laughs> and we also would encourage you to go back and listen to the Spectrum episode in yes, season one yes, um, because it explains a lot more of this. So what, so what we have now, so again, I would encourage you to draw out um, a horizontal line, and here's the spectrum of positions that one might hold. Now, technically, you could come up with a thousand, thousand different points all along that spectrum. Sure. What it basically comes down to is four or five basic camps that one can hold to. Uh, and so again, this this may be getting to the nuts and bolts. If you're having conversations with people about this, this is kind of what you're getting to. Mm-hmm. We just we just wanted to spend some time going through wh- how we got here, right? So, anyways, so you, you draw out that horizontal line, and there seems to be four or five basic camps. So on the far left would be the atheism camp. And so, and so what this is, this is the spectrum of determinism, or specifically the spectrum of divine determinism yeah. is what we're narrowing down. So on the far left, that, that extreme version would say there is no divine determinism. Hard, soft, active, passive, strong, weak, whatever. It doesn't exist because there is no God. Mm-hmm. And so there is no higher power or supernatural forces that are determining anything. It's simply man's free will mm-hmm. uh, and, then, and maybe chance. Yeah. Um, that Well, actually, you might even go the far, far left is... Um, just I don't know, just naturalistic yeah, deterministic, natural, yeah. maybe. Yeah, that might be in so. That, so this that is area. complicated. <laughs> yeah, because some. Yeah, so. Anyways, but for for this for this point, the the atheism is the far left, which is there is no God determining anything. Mm-hmm. Um, then you would move in a little bit. So let's say like you did a, a, if if the horizontal line is from zero to one hundred, then right around twenty ish, on that line there would be deism, and the the idea of deism is that there is a God who set everything up this is kind of the clockmaker analogy mm-hmm. and so he did set everything up but then he stepped back and now he takes a more hands-off approach um, and he doesn't really get involved and so yeah there's, there's probably some passive hard determinism going on uh, as far as the rules of nature and that kind of deal but other than that he doesn't really have a, a major role yeah then if you keep moving say to somewhere in the middle of the line say around the 50s or so then you would have, um, well, actually, what you, what you kind of want to do is you want to draw this large thing. It would go from like 50 to, say, 80 or 90, really. Um, but anyways, this would be the interdeterminism, which was the name of this episode. And so what the interdeterminist says is that it's, it's the complex view of determinism. It's that it's a combination of a bunch of different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, but but my, for the sake of argument, we could, would split that into... Um, open interdeterminism and known interdeterminism and if you're like what another thing it is amazing how many different viewpoints and issues and this this is complex but anyways there's an there's a thing called open theism and open theism is the idea that they would hold to the interdeterminism that there's a fat there's a mixture of god's you know god angel human animal etc active and and passive hard and soft They, they would hold all that but they would put a subcomponent that God doesn't know the future because the future hasn't happened yet. And they have some 
biblical arguments. I, I, I played around with it for a little bit. I, I understand where they're coming from. I, I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting. They make some really, really cool points. Um, but anyways, so somewhere in the 50s would be that like open interdeterminism, which is or open theism interdeterminism, that it's a mixture of all the things. And God himself doesn't actually know the future until it happens. And so he's living very much intentionally in the moment. Then you would move to, say, that 60s, 70s, maybe 80s range, and this would be the, the, the known interdeterminism or the mainstream or traditional interdeterminism mm-hmm. or the complex view of determinism. And so what this, what this interdeterminism is, is, you know, inter, it's a mixture of things. And so th- they would reject the idea that God doesn't know the future. Um, but they would say that, that, yeah, it is a mixture, that, that God has a role, angels have a role, demons have a role, animals have a role, you know, humans, have all that kind of thing. Um, and, then, and then what happens is this is a fairly broad one. So this might be like from the 60s to the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the 60s to 90s range, the, the, the debate in between, because this is a spectrum of divine determinism, yeah. um, the, the, the range in between is how often God does hard determinism. So if, if this uh, on the spectrum here between, say, 60 and 90 um, is, is this interdeterminism, someone in the 60s may say that it's a factor of all these roles and they all occur God's hard, to, you know, irresistible determining of things is actually probably fairly infrequent. Mm-hmm. That it's only occasionally in some sort of miracle type fashion. And so they would say the scripture is all those examples where you see God hard determining or irresistibly determining something, that was just an example of him moving in the moment. But in general, he's much more passive in his, or um, the soft influential determinism, uh, and then all the other factors. Where if somebody's, say, in the 80s, they would also say, yes, it's a mix, but it seems that God actually quite frequently does the hard determinism. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So then the last camp would be from the, the 90 to the end, and, and really technically it would only be just the end, the 100. Mm-hmm. But what this camp would be is that pervasive, hard, pervasive, uh, let me say the phrase, pervasive, divine, hard determinism. And so what the 100 would say is God decides and determines everything, mm-hmm. that everything is under his compulsion. There is no suggestion or influence that God gives. He doesn't open anything up to chance or man's free will. Everything happens exactly according to God's will. So, But the reason why I go ahead and put it 90 to 100 is that there might be some people who because the 100 might be like we're all robots there is no such thing as free will yeah where if you're in let's say 92 in, in that range man still has a free will but it's very secondary tertiary to god's you know etc so so what you have now is you have these five five basic camps the the atheism the deism this open theism interdeterminism the traditional kind of main known interdeterminism and then this pervasive hard determinism and, uh, and so those are the five basic camps and, and, and defining each of them. So with that, this is a loose connection, mm-hmm. but all through, and, and notice by the way, we've tried to stay away from terms like Arminianism or Calvinism, and, and we haven't even used Reformed a whole lot. And the reason why we've done that is because we wanted to stick with the technical definitions first. Yeah. Because these technical definitions are trying not to show any bias, they're trying just, they're, they're definitive technical terms. Uh, and so now, given the spectrum of these definitive technical terms, we can now look at some of the camps. And we're not going to go into detail all these, mm-hmm. but the point of this is just to explain this is where these guys hold. Uh, and so, for example, 
humanism we need to be careful with because it could be used in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. But but humanism that holds to God doesn't play a role in this. That would be more of that far left atheism type thing. Mm-hmm. Not all humanists are atheists. Not all atheists are humans. But sure. there's a general connection there. So then with the deism, this would be Pelagianism. So I so my understanding initially before I studied all this, when it comes to Christians, you're either an Arminianist or a Calvinist. Right, that's, that's what I thought, mm-hmm. and it's very black and white, and they're like at opposite extremes. They're so different from each other. Well, now that I, I went through all this, I'm like, well, hold on. Okay, first of all, there's not just those two because there was Pelagianism. What was that? So then I started researching all that, and of course, then you get into humanism or atheism, etc. So, so what you have is the Pelagianist. They take, the, and this is not as common now, but Pelagius, Roman guy, um, mm-hmm. back in I don't know first or second century um, after that. But er, medieval times, anyways. But like third or fourth century, still fairly early on. But so Pelagius, what his name was, believed that God took a more deistic role, mm-hmm. where he kind of set everything up and then pulled away. And so he put a whole lot of emphasis on man's free will. That it is now man's responsibility to actually accomplish and make things because God's not going to do it. And so that eventually had got rejected as a heresy because people realized, no, God does still have an active, hard, deterministic role at times, at, mm-hmm. at the very least. So anyway, so that would be that, that second camp. Then the third camp would be the open theist that we talked about. Um, fascinating, really interesting. Um, Greg Boyd, who I actually really admire, and he's influenced me in a lot of ways, is an open theist. I myself can't be there. Um, but I understand where, he, where he's coming from. Um, and then the fourth camp, kind of that traditional interdeterminism, would actually be more, and again, we're loosely here, and I'm going to explain this, but more Arminianistic, where they're recognizing there is a divine role and a human role, where the Pelagiast would say it's almost all man. Yeah. The Arminius typically would say it's a mixture of the two. And so then that would, and, and I'll explain this in a because then that would get into the, the Calvinism or Reformed. I don't want to equate Arminianism with interdeterminism. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to equate, well, I don't want to equate Calvinism and Reform because they overlap, but there's some differences there. Yeah. Um, and then I don't want to equate them with the pervasive heart determinism. Because what I know is, I know that there's like more that would be Arminius that might actually f- lean more towards deism. Mm-hmm. I know there's reformed individuals that would actually fully hold to interdeterminism. Yeah. And that's why I want to move away from these camps mm-hmm. and get back to the technical terms. But I at least wanted to address, there's a general flow there on that spectrum. Um, there's a loose tie there. Yeah, and I think that as you go through and look at those different categories, it's easy it's much easier to say Arminians are this, Calvinists are this, and that's just the easy perspective. But that's not accurate. But we want to push back on that because yeah. it's worth acknowledging that there is a range of people that are Calvinistic, and there's a range of people that are Arminian, and both of those concepts are, are they're just more complicated than just the determinism issue even. And right. so as you go through the differences between those two, it's not just a deterministic issue of right. what is hard determinism or not it's, it's more complicated than that but this is the general trend as you look through the spectrum of how god intervenes in mm-hmm. human uh, not just human but just in the world in general that on the humanism side of things there is no involvement from god right and on um you might call it like the five point like really extreme calvinism i don't want to call it extreme calvinism but as you uh, move down that spectrum further, it's more of a Calvinistic mindset that would lend itself to saying that God is completely and utterly in control mm. only. Right. So 
Like that's why like I wouldn't. So I'm definitely not a Calvinist because I'm not a five pointer. I do think there's some Reformed theology that I actually agree with, mm-hmm. and I would never. I've I've never on any paper or any introduction never called myself an Arminianist. And so for me, it's not about that camp. It goes yeah. back to the technical term. So I'm definitely so you know I'm an inter- interdeterminist. Interdeterminist. Um, that I believe it's a mixture of all these factors and that they vary all across the board. Mm-hmm. And so I have reformed friends that would actually agree with me that, that they also are interdeterministic. And so my flesh would like to say, oh, Calvinist or, or reformed mm-hmm. are this pervasive hard eternism, which is ridiculous, et cetera. I can't say that. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I hope that as a listener, uh, not that I'm encouraging you not to be in any of those camps. You want to find the camps that make sense to you and kind of run with them. But when it comes to this issue, don't really use the camps as your label. Use the technical terms as your label. And so you might be an inter- interdeterminist, you know, kind of free will person. You might be an interdeterminist reformed, right? Um, so we're, tr- we're trying to, though there's a loose connection, they're not one-to-one, and we want to encourage you on that. Yeah, and it's really interesting, like, even as we've been going through this discussion, uh, we've been saying, like, is it free will or determinism? Or is it um, the more of the compelling or forcing or influencing and enabling? And even as we go through what all of this means, like, you really start to realize that that, even those categories don't even make sense mm-hmm. because um, free will is a part of interdeterminism that has all of those different, the 56 or whatever mm-hmm. components that we were talking about. And so all of those things are included in this. And then also free will is a component of this. And so it, it's so easy and we have such a tendency uh, and me first, like just to say, this is my perspective this is your perspective this is your nice label this is my nice Mm -hmm. label um but that's it's it's just more complicated like you can't say i believe in free will you believe in sovereignty or uh, not sovereignty uh i believe in free will you you believe in determinism because that's not true because i still believe in determinism right and free will is a form of determinism yeah and so it's just really we've just complicated this discussion so um but it's important to go through and realize that when you want to have a conversation and that's why i really think that the spectrum that we just laid out is helpful Mm -hmm. because it lets you identify where you and another person tend to fall in this range Mm -hmm. so then when you begin to actually discuss how this plays out in a more practical way you can have a much better conversation because you know where you're actually at so what happens is we can't say it's a free will sovereignty debate. Nope. We cannot say it's a free will determinism debate. Mm-hmm. What it would actually come down to is if, if you're truly trying to be accurate, it would be something like, is it a solely human hard free will versus far extreme solely hard active hard deterministic free will solely versus middle of the ground you know um multiple of factors you know this is why spectrum is so helpful because what happens is you can't really narrow it down to two things Mm -hmm. if you if in the discussion because what you want to say is is christians aren't going to argue god doesn't have a role in this right now they may some Christians may be of a more deistic nature, or God's mm-hmm. more re- removed, but He still has a role. Most, well, what I found was on the spectrum, by the way, most Christians tend to actually sit within that sixty to ninety 
range actually mm-hmm. most christians tend to go there and again some of them are more arminianistic some are more calvinistic etc but they're all still in, typically in that 60 to 90 range yeah. they're gonna they're all gonna agree that there are there are some hard deterministic elements divine that god has done that's irresistible but there's also the the uh, a very not just a secondary tertiary but an active human free will component and so what happens is so when i found it so so when i when i had drawn, drawn this all, all out originally and I had a long thought, you know, like I said, Arminius and Calvinist, two ends of the opposite extreme. Da, da, da. I'm like, holy cow, actually, they're side by side on the spectrum mm-hmm. list here. Um, that neither one is at the full extreme. They're, they're both more towards the right on the spectrum. Um, but that was interesting to me that I, once I kind of got into that concept, I thought it was all or nothing. I'm like, actually, they're side by side that they agree on a lot of the things. But holy cow, do they vehemently disagree over certain points that they've they've dug some barrier between the two camps uh, and won't cross sides you know and, and all that kind of thing um and so maybe we shouldn't do that maybe we should <laughs> recognize that neither one of us are atheists neither one of us are deists yeah. um most of us don't actually believe that that we're all robots with no free will so all the extremes and a, and a huge chunk of that far left there has all been rejected so we're a whole lot closer on the spectrum than i realized that's interesting mm-hmm. right and this goes back to the point we made earlier that love and unity is an important part of god's plan that yeah. we must still be humble and love each other even if we disagree on the elements but so one of the things that i like about all this is it kind of moves away from an arminius calvinistic debate language and just goes back to so determinism is the method by, or the process by which something occurs. Mm-hmm. And so there's all kinds of debate on that, but there's also some, some similarities. And for Christians, if on this deterministic, so the zero to 100, most Christians are probably gonna fall between 60 and 90. Um, and so they're actually fairly close together. And all, and what, mm-hmm. what are the, what's the commonality between this, all, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s? The commonality is, is that there's multiple factors going on here that there's the the divine hard determines divine soft right you go through all of them yeah. where the debate becomes is the actual percentages hmm. so if you lean more towards the 60ish range you believe in all the factors and you believe that god's hard determinism is probably fairly rare where if you're in the high 80s you believe there's the factor of all these things but god's irresistible hard determinism is actually pretty frequent mm-hmm. And so, and so this kind of tying all this stuff together, um, we can't say the scripture clearly teaches X or Y or Z. Mm-hmm. We can say, because you mentioned this, the scripture does clearly teach there is divine hard determinism, but it also teaches there's divine soft determinism and, and angelic free will, you know, and all these different combinations. Um, and so what happens is, this goes back to, you made a comment earlier, Zach, that it's just easier for us to kind of oversimplify some point, um, kind of round up, um, and just make a conclusion. And so we conclude that God always determines everything, or he never determines anything, whatever. When, when we look, it's the, it goes back to the anger point, too. I, so, so this gets back to where are we on all this. Um, well, actually, before I even say that, why is someone where they are on the point so if someone's in the 60s or someone's in the 90s why are they there that way well it depends on your perspective with all of this it could be because god (laughs) doesn't know um i think that a lot of it is i mean honestly who who the influences in your life have been so if you uh went to a reformed church you're going to hear a lot more about um just what 
that framework really looks like. So that upper 90, that sort of idea. And so that can in- increase the yeah, chance of you doing it. Because you're going to see that more often in scripture as you read through with that type of lens. Whereas if you came from a more um, free will, I, I don't even like using this but language. Wesleyan. But like Wesleyan, Arminian type, uh, free will leaning church. You're going to see more of that as you read through scripture. Mm-hmm. And so it really just depends on what what your upbringing is like it's just much more complicated your upbringing like all these different factors because that's influenced how you actually read scripture and so that's mm-hmm. how you see this whole issue so so i would say that yeah there's multiple factors going on here because there's your your nurture your environment there's also your nature that there i think to some extent there's just the way your brain works mm-hmm. and going back to like know yourself and your values that if you value order mm-hmm. and structure yeah. you know if you value freedom more so so your own internal values and paradigms and perspectives and presuppositions and thoughts will play a factor your nurture your environment that you grew up in or didn't grow up in mm-hmm. will also play a factor and then scripture itself will also play a factor but what i find is is that it's the first two that tends to influence the third. That if I, because of internally and externally, I'm more of a free will guy, when I read scripture, I'm going to see all the examples of people choosing Mm -hmm. and God giving people options. Where if because of the internal and the external, the nature and the nurture, you grew up in a more reformed or uh, highly divinely deterministic uh, uh, background, whatever, then you're going to see all those examples in the text of um, where God is irresistibly hard determining something, mm-hmm. right? And so, so we bring those presuppositions to the text. So, c c c c c, and and so those points just back up what we'd already kind of concluded. And so, trying, I don't think you can fully step away from all that. But trying to step away from that, try to be as neutral as you can in the moment to make a decision. I look at all this and I say, man. So now personally, and I admit there's still a bias here, I tend to see, I can't say that. I I wanted to say it seems to me that there's more examples of the human free will than the God hard determinism. But even I state, I can't can't make that statement Mm -hmm. biblically. Um, I I, I haven't even begun to process through if I was to start Genesis 1-1 and go through Revelation 21 whatever last verse is 14 whatever yeah. it is but anyways go through every, all 31,107 verses and actually try to record like imagine we had that fi- I'm, I'm not going to do this by the way because yeah, it's overwhelming <laughs> thing about it but imagine if we had those fit that chart of those 56 possibilities and then I went through scripture and verse by verse or sentence by sentence I read those things and then I made a mark of what it is I can't be confident that I'm marking correctly mm-hmm so you really couldn't even do it. And it's really interesting with that because I, uh, my freshman year of college, I was having a lot of different discussions with people about this issue. Uh, and the way I understood then, it was Calvinism versus Arminianism. Uh, I was Arminian. Uh, the people I was talking to were Calvinists, and we were talking around each other in circles and all this. And, and at one point, I just got to the, just like, how do you keep seeing all of these things? Like, how do you keep seeing this in Scripture? They're just like, okay, well, I see it here, 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 and here. It's like, but I see it here, here. And so I, I think it was the book of John I started going through. And I, I have my Bible that I did this in still. And I literally underlined in two different colors every time I saw mm-hmm. uh, free will and every time I saw God choosing. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it human free will versus divine yes. free will. Yep. Right? And so it was really, really interesting. I, I didn't make it very fun, mm-hmm. um, but it was fascinating to me how it's just like, and I, I believe it was the book of John, but just going through and like a couple times a page, one of each. And you just see both and you just read through the entire thing. And if I was to be really dogmatic with my position, I'd say, no, look, there's 27 examples in mm-hmm. the first eight chapters of John of mm-hmm. human free will. And then, they, well, there's 24, 32 examples. And so it just if you want to hold to your position dogmatically, right, you actually can. It, yeah. Like you can hold on to it and you can say, nope, I'm right. Yeah. Um, it. But you're limiting yourself because you're not allowing for the complexity of this issue, which this goes back to the analogy that I've said in a different podcast of if you have like, uh, so picture you're in a room and there's the corner, like there's the wall and you put a sphere in the corner and Mm -hmm. you have lights going on it from two directions. So you look at the wall. uh, So like uh, not a sphere, a cylinder. I'm sorry. And so you shine a light on it. And from one side on the wall, you see a circle. And so you're looking at the wall from that side, and you say, and I say, what's on the wall? A circle. circle. Uh, but I'm looking at it from the opposite side, and I'm looking at the wall, and I see a square. And I say, no, it's a square. And you say, no, it's a circle. Or a rectangle. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, whatever shape it is. Right. I see this shape, you see this shape. Those are two completely different shapes. Mm-hmm. But then we step back, and it's something different than mm-hmm. both of what we were saying. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you're wrong, and I'm right, or I'm right, and you're wrong. It's just much more complicated. Much more complicated. And so... We don't want to be well. Now there's a. Um, we also want to keep in mind that so when it comes to this, there's many different paradigms, there's many different perspectives. We're looking at different angles. I'm going to give you an example of that in a second. We do want to say that sometimes there's two different camps that are actually contradictory to yes. each other. Yeah, that's true. So for example, if somebody said God hard determines everything and there is no human free will, and then somebody else says well, I think that, that there is human free will, that God is allowed, et cetera. Those both can't be true given mm-hmm. the way that it's defined and stated. Yeah. But typically, most of us hold to that interdeterminism, mm-hmm. that it's a mixture, and then what the debate is, is over on the mixture. Um, and so, oh, so because the other thing I wanted to say with that, with perspective was, so looking at Scripture, I'm going to find the things that show more the free will, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So then you can also look at life. And so I look around at life and I say, well, that happened probably, we don't know, but I'm thinking because of this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes along and says, oh, that happened because God wanted it to happen. To me, it's such an oversimplification that it absolutely could be true, but but how are you so certain? It just seems there's a bunch of other factors. So one of the things that got me was, um, so I'm, you know, I'm, 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 well, let me say this. So of these five camps, the, the, the atheism, the deism, the interdeterminism and then the pervasive hard determinism and pervasive divine hard determinism and so what that camp is is that god actively irresistibly determines every single thing Mm -hmm. right so if you're looking at those five camps would the bible promote atheism no clearly Mm -hmm. because the whole point is that the god is the sovereign king of everything yeah would, would the Bible paint the picture of deism that God has, like, established everything and then stepped away? No, not really, um, because he's so actively involved from Genesis through Revelation. Mm-hmm. 
Now, if there's somebody who's a Christian, they sincerely believe that Jesus is Lord, and they wanted to make some argument that God was more actively involved in the past, and, and that they see through Scripture him becoming less and less involved until the end times and becomes re-involved, mm-hmm. and so they hold to more a de- deistic mindset. I'm not going to say they're not Christian because they believe that Jesus is Lord. Um, I wouldn't. I, I, they would have to acknowledge that the Bible paints the picture of a very active, involved God, and so they're conjecturing if they're saying that He takes a more deistic role now, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's so the Bible itself paints a picture not of atheism and not of deism. I also would make the argument of that other extreme one, this pervasive divine hard determinism, that God always, yeah. 100% of the time determines everything irresistibly there's no other choice there's no free will etc i feel that the bible would also not paint a picture of that Mm -hmm. the the extreme extreme 100 um because like in deuteronomy 30 that i have choice you have choice now between life and death and things like that so it would seem that the bible really does paint a picture of interdeterminism that it's a mixture of these factors. But the Bible would just tell you it's somewhere between 50 and 94. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so the debate seems to be that, that we, want, we would want to encourage you, the listener, to really hold to interdeterminism, that there are multiple factors, hard and soft, active and passive, um, you know, strong and weak, divine, angelic, demonic, hum, human, animalistic mm-hmm. in nature, and possibly randomality, right? Um, that, w- that we would say you would want to include all or most of those factors. Where the debate is going to occur is like the percentages or the weight. Mm-hmm. So, so, for example, so to tie all this together, what I hold to um, is probably in the 60s in that range of, of 0 to 100, where I'm definitely an inter- interdeterminist, that there are many different factors going on, and I would say that God, for the most part, he, he did a lot of active hard at the beginning of creation but he kind of set things up this is the parameters and you can't you can't go outside that mm-hmm. but it's turned mostly into now passive hard not active hard and i also believe that he does a lot of active soft as far as like the influencing or even passive soft because of scripture so i would say that of of the of the four categories of, of like the divine active hard mm-hmm. that's probably the smallest percentage now that it's only occasionally that he steps in and kind of overrides everything and says, this is what's going to be. That the far majority of his influence is more of the passive hard, like the laws of nature, and then an active soft where he's whispering to you in prayer, uh, guiding you, and then passive soft where he set up the scripture and, and, and be influenced by that. So, so I would say for me that it's a combination of all the factors, divine, angelic, human, animal, um, nature, and randomality. Mm-hmm. And within the divine, it's mostly um, passive hard, active soft, and passive soft. And it's very little of the active hard. Where somebody who is, say, in more than the 80s mm-hmm. would agree with most of what I was saying, but they would change the percentages. So they would say, for example, um, the divine plays a much more regular role than all the other factors. Mm-hmm. And then within the, the divine, there's much more of that active, hard, irresistible determinism, right, than I would. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I tend more towards the left side of the interdeterministic circle. But what really convicted me, this goes back to why we can't tell people what camp you're supposed to be in. We can really strongly influence that the Bible seems to paint the picture of the interdeterminism. So it'd be somewhere between 50 and 94. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't really tell you where in that. Because, so anyways, 
I was thinking of all kinds of examples in my life where it was a lot of human free will and other things happening that caused it. And so it was experiences that I experienced that put me in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But then I realized I have friends of mine that would be up in the 80s. But I'm like, you know what? They might have actually seen a lot more mm-hmm. examples of God hard determining things in the moment. And that's why they hold to it. So then this put another whole layer to all this is that we can't say there's one answer that God always lives at 64 or 72 or 87 or whatever. What we would say is maybe in my life, given God knows how I'm wired and how best I'm going to function, he's actually going to be in the 60s where he's not going to do a whole lot of hard determinism. He's going to do a bunch of the other stuff and allow for all the other factors because he knows how that's best I'm going to thrive. Where for my friend who likes much more the structure and that God's in control and feels safer in her life, he's going to act much more in the 80s and show her a lot more hard determinism and so that she can really feel safe with that. When I when that first, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, pow, 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 mind blown, I'm like, ooh, I bet you that's the answer. Mm-hmm. That the Bible would seem to paint a picture somewhere between 50 and 90 and that depending on the person's life or even season they're in, hmm. yeah, he might act anywhere within that spectrum. And so for us humans... To sit here and say conclusively, this is the answer for determinism. This is how the process of how things played out. Yeah. Ooh, that's a bold conclusion to make. And so that's where I'm at. Yeah, and I think that that really shows something that we can't just sit here and say, uh, nope, the answer is 60, the answer is 80, the answer is 72. Uh, because, and this, I do want to qualify what you're saying, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that you're saying um, that... Uh, it's only either 60 or 80 that God really seems to work on that spectrum. And so the reason you're at 60 is because like, that's what, that's how God works in your life. And the reason someone would be at 80 is because that's how God's working in their life. That doesn't mean that, um, truth is relative, right? It just means you're both seeing a different aspect of the complexity of how God works. So, yeah, I would. So here's, if I wanted to be as accurate as I could, here's what I would say. What do I believe about when it comes to the determinism issue, as far as how, what is the process of how things occur? And we're using this spectrum with all these definitions. You said, Shannon, where do you hold? What do you believe about God? I believe that on Tuesday morning regarding this issue with me, mm-hmm. God was at a 64. But then on Tuesday afternoon regarding this issue with me, he was at an 85. Um, and then on Wednesday with my friend, he was at a 92. On Thursday with my other friend in this issue, he was at a 50 or a 74. So what I believe accurately is God runs all up and down, not the mm-hmm. entire spectrum. I would say somewhere between 50 and 90. And you know, ballparking, okay? Sure. So, so God runs somewhere in that spectrum, between 50 and 95. Um, and it varies from person to person, season to season, situation to situation. If you say, okay, so you really you wouldn't even try to map it all out. No, because it's all over the place. If I had a generality, hmm. I would say that generally in my life, I would say God's somewhere in the 60s in general. Yeah. That to me, that's how I would say it. And that's just... Uh, such a humble position to have because like I, I know I have a tendency to want to say no this is what it is I figured it out um, it's this number um, but when you actually start looking at scripture you see that it's it's not that it's almost like we keep saying this it's not that simple um, you can't just say 
God only works in this specific way or God only works in this specific way. He, he does switch it up from situation to situation, just echoing everything that you were just saying. And once we begin to recognize that, it makes it so much easier to really understand mm-hmm. where people are at with all of this. So if given the spectrum of zero to 100 in these five basic camps, and, and so I would say I'm definitely in the interdeterminism camp, which tends to run from 50 to 95. And I would say that I feel like God normally in my life is somewhere in the 60s, but absolutely maybe anywhere else within that 50 to 95 mm-hmm. parameter for other people or even myself in any given situation. But in general, yeah. I tend to view life in that 60s range. Where are you? Uh, I would probably be in... <laughs> numbers are hard probably like 63 ish so right around so we're pretty similar yeah right around the same area that you are um i have had a lot of good conversations with some of my more reformed friends and seeing a lot of the passages that talk about um god really orchestrating things more i would uh differ with them and not be as high of a number as they probably are because mm-hmm. i see it more as influencing than um uh, causing yeah, or right. like that sort right. of thing um, but I think that that's probably uh, it's pushed me a little bit further up the scale than you are. And then also uh, just the idea of randomality that we briefly talked about. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little bit further away from that than I think you are. Yeah. Which is, is fine. Right, it's minor. Yeah. And so I was just thinking, by the way, so, so, so you for the listener, the idea, kind of what's the takeaway from all this? The idea is, is we, you know, we've set up the big picture. We, we've defined a bunch of things, mm-hmm. and then we've laid out the spectrum for you so that it's easier for you to make a decision. And so we would encourage you to hold to interdeterminism, which still gives you a pretty broad range yeah. uh, of, of, of where you were with that. So what we would say is you need to go ahead and consciously figure out where you lie on that, and, and, but keep it a generality. So you may, you may decide, you know what, I'm more of the reform that God has more control of things than, than you guys would say, so I'm probably in the 80s or higher or whatever. Sure. Um, you may say, Shane, I believe it's just a flat-out mix of everything, so I'm, I'm in the 70s. Um, or it's a, it's a little bit God has less of that deterministic role or hard deterministic, and so I'm in the 60s with you guys, right? Yeah. So, so what we'd encourage you is, given this, our hope is, is that we've now been able to present a picture for you to say, ooh, I think I'm here. And so, and so we think it's important that you nail, that you nail down a gen, not even nail down, that you identify a general place of where you are. Yeah. The reason why is it really will affect your decisions. So if you are up in the higher 80s or lower 90s where God's determining, then you need to be consistent with that. And you need not to just run into conclusions and make your own conclusions because you've already told yourself and others that you think God determines most of them. And so you need to align yourself with that. And, and, yeah. let, and this, this would mean, for example, you taking the initiative a little bit less on things, unless God's orchestrating you to, sure. um, to let him orchestrate things more. Where if you're more, say, in the 60s, then it's like you feel comfortable that you have a little more free reign to make these decisions. God will step in and nudge you if he needs, but that gives you a little more freedom to kind of act that way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to say what's better or what's worse. It's just you need to find what makes the, the general ballpark area yeah. of what makes the most sense to you but and, and, and then be consistent mm-hmm. in your acting of that. 
and then and then once you're there recognize you won't always be there and not everybody else will, will be there yeah so if you're like if, if you end up saying shannon i'm you know again numbers we're not worried about the exact number which is ballparking mm-hmm. but if you i'm around 90 i really feel that god hard determines most things um okay good good for you uh, we you have the scripture to kind of back you up we have the scripture to back us up etc so you're fine where you are be consistent with that mm-hmm. and let him determine things yeah. and don't live as if you're determining them but also keep in mind there may be times that God actually has you in a situation down in the 70s mm-hmm. where he's actually giving you more free reign and that and that other people when you're talking with him you can't persuade them that 90 is the correct answer yeah. that 90 seems, seems to be the general answer for you but they might be in a different place and so for me this actually takes away a lot of the arguing mm-hmm. And if somebody still wants to argue, it's because they want their answer to be right. And that becomes a much more psychological thing that they don't like other options floating out there. Mm -hmm. But it seems that if we actually take this balanced approach that it's it's a flex, it's a mix. You're generally there. I'm generally here. It may change a little bit for each of us. To me, that seems to be the better way to kind of resolve everything. Yeah. And uh, when we see when we have this type of understanding and we recognize that how God normally interacts with us helps us or influences how we see God interacting with others. Mm-hmm. And so like what we were just saying, like you're at a 16, I'm at a 64. That's not to minimize the implications of what that actually means. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is what we're not saying is that, um, God works at a 60 for me and he works at a 90 for someone else. And so it doesn't really matter that I'm that 60 versus 90 doesn't matter. There's no implications because as we've been talking about, there are all sorts of implication. And so like you're at more of a 60, I'm at more of a 64. And I think we both agree that generally that's how God tends to work. And so the good study that we're about to go through, the evil and sin study that we're about to go through, the suffering study, that is all going to be influenced through more of that mindset. And if you are more at like the 90, we're not saying that you're wrong uh, or that sort of thing. We're just saying that more of a 60 type understanding of uh, how God interacts with humans Mm -hmm. in in this specific way influences the answers to the questions of good Mm -hmm. and evil and suffering. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to be consistent and say we think that an understanding of God working in like the 60s makes the most sense with scripture. And so um, that's what we're going to be presenting. And so that's not that's not to say that if you are in the 90s and you have a view of God and you answer the questions of good and evil and suffering with a consistent 90 perspective, we're not saying that you're wrong or that sort of thing. Like what I guess what I'm trying to say is we want to be consistent with what we're presenting. Mm -hmm. And we also want to recognize that we do humbly think that an understanding of God working in the 60s makes the most sense with scripture although we see given the sheer volume of evil yeah, and sin and suffering although we see where someone in a different part of the range where they're coming from mm-hmm. does that make sense yep yeah i'm really glad you said that because and we're going to keep coming back to that point so remind me when we when we're going through those studies to come back to this moment this mm-hmm. conversation and bring this back up that and we don't want to go too much into detail because this is another whole episode but if if, if atheism is the right answer and there is no God, that actually explains a lot why there's so much evil and suffering in the sure, world. Sure. If God is deistic, where he's fairly removed from the world, that would also explain why there's so much evil and suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we but we've seen the scripture wouldn't allow for either of those. If you go to the other extreme, where it's this pervasive heart of terms and that God causes everything, then you have God causing the evil. That actually creates a whole series of issues, right, mm-hmm. to try to deal with. 
And so that interdeterminism does seem to be the best answer. And then what we found is, but if God is at the 80s and 90s where he's determining most things, yeah. it still doesn't help explain, not as well anyways, mm-hmm. we think. We think, yeah. As the, if he's in the 60s or 70s. Um, so that's, that's really good that you brought that up. Um, so, so all of that to say then, the, there's, there's, we want you to, the goal of all this was to, to try to lay it all out. I mm-hmm. hope that we did, at least to put some sort of structure to it. Um, so that you can better find your answer of where you think you're at. Because I know in a lot of the unpacking studies and other rekindling groups, when I've presented more of the 60-ish type range, um, a lot of people were really encouraged by that. Like, that makes more sense. Because I didn't want to think that God was not involved in my life at all. Um, But I had a hard time saying that he was in control of everything given all this bad stuff that just happened. And so this seems to be, you know, better equated. Um, And then this goes back to the mystery question. Mm -hmm. Then the mystery for us becomes why did God choose to take that risk where someone holds to the 80s or 90s range that it was all part of God's will or to his glory? Then the mystery is how is that okay? Mm -hmm. But, you know, et cetera. So a lot of that still comes down to. Where, what, which mystery are you comfortable with? Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but anyways, so so we hope that that you can look through all this, that you can get a better idea of where you're at. Maybe you range, you know, maybe you say I'm, I'm depending on the season I'm in. It's between the 50 and the 90, you know, or whatever. But we just hope that we're helping you better come to grips with a very complex issue. Um, to to practically encourage you, you know, mm-hmm. as you go through this, and you already made the point that I wanted to make that this will absolutely play out into how we came to the conclusions we did, you know, in the other episodes. And then one more final point I want to make before we wrap up mm-hmm. is so so keep in mind that there's the reality of the determinism, the reality of the process of how something came to be, and then there's our perspective of it. And so we always want to take some humility with that, that just because we've assumed it's this way doesn't mean it was that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so so just because we're more comfortable in the 60s, and God may range in the 60s, doesn't mean in any given situation that he wasn't elsewhere, right? And so one way this may actually play out is, imagine if I'm to meet more in that 60s range and somebody else is around 90, and then we're both actually in the same situation, and then we're trying to determine what caused it all. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say, so the reality, let's say the reality was at 72. It was, this, it was this mixture of factors that occurred. My bias of being more comfortable in the 60s would wanna say, oh, I bet you that was at like a 67 or 69 or 70. Where if someone else is in the 90s and they're more comfortable with that, they're like, oh, I don't know, I think that was probably like an 80, you mm-hmm. know? When the answer was it was actually a 75. And so that's where it can become kind of problematic at times when two people who have different different areas on the spectrum are yeah. trying to both figure out the, um, what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. And so, so one example of this is I had a friend of mine. Well, we, so we actually have given both these examples. I had a friend of mine say, um, "Oh, God gave me this A," and I really want to say God didn't give you that A. <laughs> you know that it was it was your hard work. It was the professor's grading. It was a combination of things. God, I'm not saying God didn't have a role. God may have really gave you the strength and energy to stay up late to get the homework assignment done well. You know, God may have helped you with your memory to do well on the exam. Mm-hmm. So I think that God absolutely had a role in that. But to put it up in the high 90s where, where God, like, determined that you were going to get an A and he overrode your free will and the teacher's free will to give you the A, I wouldn't go there. Yeah. And, and so that, and that I think I could be comfortable on pushing back on a little bit. 
but then we gave the example of um, oh God gave me that job or I didn't I didn't get hired and mm-hmm. and God didn't want did, you know someone says I, God didn't want me to have that job that I would need to be careful because I'm more in the 60s range I want to say well, well stop saying that God did or didn't give you that job because there might have been a bunch of other factors going on mm-hmm. um, but it may very well be that God closed that door and didn't get them that job. Or absolutely, yeah. like for example, even like miraculously, your resume could have been towards the bottom of the pile, and God miraculously put the resume at the top of the pile, and so that increased the chances of you sure. getting the job, right? So, so if somebody said a statement like "God gave me an A," that I would want to push back. Said so let's let's move away from that ninety type language and come mm-hmm. down a little bit. Um, but if somebody said God gave me this job or God kept me from that job or, yeah. or some situation like that where there are talking more in the 90s, I want to push back on that because I'm more in the 60 range. Mm-hmm. But it very well could actually be an 88 or 90. Yeah. And so I'd want to be open to that. Now, inversely, if if I feel like, you know, if it's like, well, hey, how, so how did that happen? Well, I feel that like God orchestrated and nudged some things and then I stepped in and then this person actually responded well. And it was a combination of all these things that caused this to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're more in that 80, high 80s type range. You're not comfortable with that because we're seeming to give credit to a bunch of people yeah. and not just God. And so you're going to want to push back on that. But it may very well be that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And God would say, I want to share the glory in this because I orchestrated some things, but then you and you and you all stepped up and chose well, yeah. and I want to give you credit for that. And so and so you don't mm-hmm. be careful pushing back on that. So all that to say, be careful the statements you make. Mm-hmm. So if you like to give God credit, don't give him credit blindly for everything because yeah. it may be more complicated or complex than that. Um, or if you're more comfortable with the complex, it may be solely a God thing, mm-hmm. and you, you want to give recognition. So be very careful in the statements you make and the conclusions you make about things. And then also be very careful when you hear somebody else saying a different thing than you would say yeah. of whether you push back on that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you should push back. Sometimes you shouldn't. And, and, and this is where wisdom and discernment would come in. Yeah, and I think that what you were just describing is really the difference between um, how God is working in your life in the moment and how you see the average of how God works. Right. And so like we talked a lot about how um, like we tend to see God working in the 60, 60 ish range. And that seems to make the most sense to us uh, based on a lot of different factors. But if um, even though that's our perspective of how we think God works most of the time in our own lives, like you were just saying, from situation to situation, all these different things, we might be at more of an 80 or mm-hmm. down to a 50 mm-hmm. or like all this different range. But that doesn't necessarily change where um, we see God tending to work and how we really begin to base our theology. Because I just wanted to say that because it if we're just flipping around and making a bunch of different decisions all the time and um, it's just going to get really confusing theologically when we try and navigate all that. So we hope, uh, you listeners, as we wrap up, we hope that we didn't over-confuse you. We hope that we didn't take you off you know, with some of this stuff. We hope we just presented a fairly accurate picture of the com- complex, huge potential, all these different options, nature of it all, to give you uh, some ballparks to kind of run with to help you to decide. So we're, we're just going to leave it there at that. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, um, we'll see you at the next episode as we actually record good. And so what is biblically, what, is, what makes something good is a four-part definition. And so we'll see you guys for that episode. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to comment. Contact us on the website or email us at info at rekindlingministries.com and we can talk further about it. So thanks for giving us a uh, shot and listening. We love you guys. See you guys.